Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hoker. Today is a big, big day. Yeah, I'm back, baby. Stephen's back, and that's the only reason it's a big day. Welcome back, Stephen. <laughs> Thank you. How you feeling? I'm feeling much better. I, I lost the game of societal musical chairs and got COVID last week. Oof. Your first time. My first time. I truly, the day before, was like, it's kind of cute and funny how I've never caught it yet. I was more saying, like, I'm surprised because everyone I know has had it at least once. And I was like, I don't know how I managed to not get it this long. And then the next day, I'm like, I don't feel great. Yeah, and then, brutal positive but um really intense for one night uh but thankfully it's been mild ever since and i feel like 90 percent back today i probably sound a little sore but i'm feeling really good and uh i'm i'm glad it's behind me that's great thanks again to christian spicer for filling in last minute yes uh, i enjoyed your guys conversation yeah immortals of avium yeah that was gonna be my jump scare game for you last week yeah i couldn't you can't do that to me when I'm sick. You know? like I'm, I'm, I'm glad I was I, in the nicest way possible. I'm glad I set that one out. I will say I have played more of that game and I have actually found the story to be more interesting over time. I just wanted to give an update on that because I've been like genuinely surprised at the story of that game. And I just think it's going to get lost to time. Unfortunately, I think that game is just going to like, especially coming out the week before Starfield, the game we're going to talk about today, really brutal timing. And I think it'll take like a release on Game Pass or something to really start to get the eyes that it needs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Game Pass has kind of allowed more for like there to be cult hits these days. Yeah, you know, it's harder with games because they're, you know, like a game like Earthbound is very much a cult hit that's like famously impossible to find. Right. Only recently on the Switch Virtual Console, which is great, but still, you know, like that was just sort of like kept alive through forums and YouTube for yeah. years and years and years. Yeah. And you needed a new 3DS to play it on the Virtual Console on 3DS and you, could, you couldn't play it on the regular 3DS for some yeah. reason. I will say I, uh, I've been playing a lot of Earthbound this week uh, for some reason and playing that game while you're kind of sick is like perfect. I don't know why but yeah i just feel like i'm understanding earthbound <laughs> on a different i can level. see you like really vibing with some of that music while, oh, yeah. while like under the weather like i could see that music being like wow this is really hitting in a way i wasn't expecting <laughs> nyquil at 5 p.m to <laughs> battle against a weird opponent is like now like mozart to me i'm like oh i get it now I can like I can so clearly put myself in your shoes experiencing yeah. that like that it really makes so much sense it's so funny yeah Earthbound's been on my backlog for forever we we did a Mother Three episode and saw that game to completion yeah. but Earthbound's been like the big one for me for so long I've I've like you I've played the beginning like many many times the farthest I got was actually in college when I had it on my MacBook emulated and then that laptop stopped working. So I, yeah. I, I am now like right where I left off the first time. Oh, so I'm cool. excited to get further. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You and I should like talk about that game really extensively someday. Yeah, that's that, that's on our uh, we have like a lot of big ones on our backlog for bonus episodes. And that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Anyway, enough about being bound to the earth. Should we talk about? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Starfield, otherwise known as Mother 4. Uh, <laughs> a different direction. I didn't know Todd Howard was such a big Earthbound Nintendo fan. Nintendo and Bethesda present. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> 
a quick disclaimer before we start talking about Starfield is that I did receive code for this video game, uh, which is the first time that's ever happened. Yeah, I'll say this um, every every year. You and I say this a lot, but every year of the show, every season of the show, you and I try and do something kind of like new. And sometimes that's stuff that like you, the dear listener, will hear. And sometimes it's stuff that's like behind the scenes. So like a couple of years ago, it was like, let's get a bank account. And that ended up taking like an entire year <laughs> to make happen for real for a bunch of yeah. wild reasons. But Last year was the first time I was like, I'm going to start reaching out to video game publishers and developers and seeing if we can start to get review codes for things, because it just it just like felt like it made sense for us for, you know, even though we're not a show that is focused on playing like the newest thing every once in a while, there's a game that you and I like really care about that's going to come out. And, it you know, it'd be nice if we could get review codes for those things. I have never heard back a single time ever. (laughs) Every (laughs) single time I've reached out, I have never heard back except for this time with Bethesda from Bethesda and Starfield. And it was literally me just going on Twitter and begging. I was like, please, if anyone can get us a code for this game, it would mean so much. Because here's the thing. Before we even get into like the game, how we're feeling about it, the like background behind it, I think it's worth setting up if you're like newer to the show and you don't know the history of like you and me. We met in high school. We've been friends for a long time. We were kind of, as you always say, two ships passing in the night because you were a couple, yes. you're a couple years older than me. So like it was always like, oh, we would probably be friends if we had the capacity to hang out more. But yeah, we like, were getting close before I graduated and then we were getting close before I moved. Right. That, those are the two big misses yes. of, of our friendship. But the thing that I think connected us more than anything else was the Elder Scrolls for Oblivion. Like, oh, yeah. the, the shared love of that game that you and I had was like probably foundational to our friendship was like foundational to this podcast existing the original description of this podcast as i say many times is steven and brendan try to not talk about the elder scrolls for oblivion like before we called ourselves a low-key video game podcast that's what we said it was yeah um like it is that foundational i think to you and i it is like coded into our genome to be like need something when we start this skype call every week it's like a constant goof how much you and i love that game and I have been looking forward to Starfield for so long because of that, like because I think of this, you know, Bethesda DNA that's like hardwired into you and I. (laughs) Yeah. The idea of them releasing what they consider to be like their third pillar of RPGs, right, with Elder Scrolls Fallout and now Starfield, which has been like rumored for like 15 years and has been in development for about 10 years. Like this is a thing we've known about for a long, long time. And the, the lead up has been interesting, I would say. But generally speaking, like where I'm coming at this from is just kind of almost like bewilderment that they even are doing it, you know, because I think another, another thing that you and I have a really shared love for is Star Trek. And the idea before we had even seen any of this game, like you and I mused a lot on the show about the idea of like, what if Bethesda just does Star Trek? Mm-hmm. Like if they just made like an Elder Scrolls Fallout-esque open world RPG set in space that's Star Trek adjacent, like you and I are going to lose our fucking minds. Like, yeah, that's just going to be the only game we talk about forever. We'll change the name of our show. Like we'll be different people. <laughs> um, and then over time, as we started to see announcements and trailers and, and, and uh, E3 events and then post E3 events and whatever, talking about Starfield, it became clear that it was like, what do they call it? Uh, NASA punk. I do want to get into the aesthetic of this game later because yeah, yeah. um, I think there is a lot to say about it. But it, it was clear that like the game that Bethesda was making was a little bit different than the thing that you and I had like envisioned in our heads. And one of the points I think I bring up on this show the most is this idea of 
your own expectation kind of almost blinding you to what the game actually is it wants to be right and and i think it took me a long time after we started seeing more and more of this game to kind of reframe my head around like okay it's not the thing that i've thought it was going to be for a long time but what is it like what do they want to do what do they want to say and i think as Tokyo Game Show showcases and Summer Games Fest, Jeff Keighley Fest's experiences uh, kept happening and Todd Howard kept showing up and showing more of this game. I started to kind of buy into it a little bit more and more until I just became excited about it again. Like I kind of I kind of started off like excited Mm -hmm. and then was like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be for me. And then I was excited again, as evidenced by the fact that I brought up this game in the past like four weeks of the podcast, even though it wasn't out yet, Um, (laughs) which then led to me being like, I know that people have review code for this game. We obviously didn't, you know, receive any so i was like let me just tweet this out let me just see if we can get this and and somebody with has to reach out to me gave me a code very thankful for that should just bring that up as like a disclaimer but also you and i did pay for this game also you and i both pre-ordered the version of this game that gets you access to it early and that's so, what i played so yes. I, I got i got a bit of a head start as well yes. not as much as you but yeah i'll just say Top level, I have rolled credits on this game. (laughs) I have played about 33 hours so far in uh, the time that I've had it. And I weirdly have had a similar experience with this game that I did with the like emotions in the lead up to it. Mm. That being like I started the game. I was so excited to like hit the start button. I was so nervous just even seeing the title screen. I was so excited. And then I started playing it. And for the first like five hours i was like i don't think i like this like i don't i don't think this is working for me i think there's like a lot of things that are rubbing me the wrong way and then slowly but surely over the next like five hours because my first session playing this game was literally 10 hours straight like i just played this game for like 10 straight hours um and for the next like five hours after that i just kept doing story missions and side stuff and i was like oh wait this is starting to click for me and i'll get into like why that happens because that's a thing i've seen a lot in a lot of reviews is like the early hours just kind of don't really grab you and then suddenly something starts to happen not even suddenly just like slowly something starts to happen that like reframes your experience i went to sleep i went to work the next day when i got home and i turned the game on again and i started playing it i just like fell into it in such a profound way that i was like totally taken into starfield like something something about like walking away from the game and coming back and being like oh i get to sit down in my cockpit and just choose where in space i'm going to travel to next (laughs) it just felt so freeing and so exciting and opening up my mission log and having like you know the very classic bethesda like thousand missions to choose from be like i could do fucking anything right now like really just swept me off my feet in a way and from that point on it's just been like the game is getting better and better and better and better and better there's so so much to say about i don't even know like where to begin in terms of like the actual content of the game or or uh like the specifics that we should talk about i just want to know what your experience has been like so far yeah i'm really happy you're enjoying it so much it 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 is definitely uh weirdly similar to like the ups and downs of expectation as well like playing it i do think like pretty much with everyone else like i wouldn't say it was five hours for me but like the opening in general is just kind of weird uh it feels it you get that at least i got that feeling while playing the opening where your your body kind of gets like nervous something's gonna be bad you're yes. like oh no is this what it is i don't know something it just like 
I, I get what they were going for. Famously, a lot of Bethesda games open with this like escape from the cave, you know, uh, in, in Oblivion. It's the famous like prison escape. Right. Um, and Fallout 3, it's the whole like childhood and growing up in the vault, which I think is actually one of the better openings. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. The, the vault opening and you finally leaving for the first time. Like that's such a huge moment in that game like that. That, I think, is like the pinnacle of this opening sequence that Bethesda has like nailed that you're talking about. Yeah. And I think they're trying to do something similar here with like you originally work as a miner. Yeah. And then you find like a 2001 monolith artifact that then gives you this is like first 10 minutes just for context. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you're just walking around like mining and then you find this thing and then it gives you this like weird spiritual awakening that then leads to the main quest yeah i think the reason why it feels off is like there isn't that clear okay now you're loose moment it's like you saw the artifacts so therefore you no longer have to work for some reason and then they also have to teach you like eight more things before you're like confident you even know what to do with your freedom yeah like so it, it just feels a little bit more ambiguous as to like when or if you're supposed to go off the main quest right your advice to me and i would share this is like i do think it's worth sticking to the main quest for like the bulk of the beginning just because like they are establishing a lot of just how to play the game and there are a lot of systems i still don't like fully understand the ui or the map or like how to get around right. um the weakest thing for me about the game is just like the sense of direction i i feel very lost in a way that isn't like oh the wonder of space just like how do how do i get to this quest like at all you know and <laughs> right i do think too like the thing that i'm enjoying the most um and overall i'm really enjoying it i, I would say like I'm not as far as you, so I think I'm still kind of forming a lot of opinions of my own experience, but it definitely feels like a, a comeback for them. Like I don't think it's going to be a hit like Skyrim was. I don't think it's going to be like that kind of cultural event, but I do think it's just a lot of fun to play, like as simple as that. Like I think it's an enjoyable game, and I think if you kind of separate it from the like and it's impossible to that that's the thing about this game is like if this were just just come out by anyone else i think people would be like yeah it's pretty good and like that would be kind of the end of the conversation but i think because it has this like 10 years of hype and it's the new bethesda game in this present timeline where like games are changing so rapidly in front of our eyes yeah you know like even in the last three years i think the expectation of an open world game has changed dramatically with just Elden Ring, Tears of the Kingdom, and now Baldur's Gate 3. All three very dramatically different games, and you could argue if they're even, you know, I, you could argue if Baldur's Gate 3 is an open world game, but I do think they're all games that are going after a piece of what one would want from a Bethesda experience. Yeah, I think it's worth breaking those pieces down actually like i, I think yeah. i think starfield is trying to be an open world space futuristic rpg right and when you look at the state of you know all three of those things take open world games you have games like elden ring and tears of the kingdom and breath of the wild which have changed things dramatically even death stranding i would throw in there is like yeah another completely different spin right you look at rpgs and you have things now like baldur's gate 3 which just launched and is like absolutely wild in terms of its depth and its and its you know uh, uh, permutations of story and narrative based 
based on player choice. And then even just thinking about like the spacefaring or futuristic side of it, I would even enter Cyberpunk 2077 into the conversation, which obviously launched in a state that people weren't happy with, but has over the course of many patches and stuff kind of landed on that vision and that dream that a lot of people expected. And even when you look at the state of where Cyberpunk is at right now and the upcoming DLC that they have, like you know, the levels of detail and fidelity and player choice in that style of open world RPG, which is to be totally frank, like very clearly inspired by what Bethesda has done over the past, you know, two decades. Um, Like Cyberpunk kind of blows a lot of things that Starfield is doing out of the water. I I, I think you're totally right to bring up just like the the weight of expectation in terms of just like the industry and where players uh where, where the the bar for players has been set at this point right because i i think you know there are people who will be thoughtful about those bars and there are people on the internet who will not be thoughtful at all and just be like well cyberpunk did this better so therefore starfield is bad the thing i went into this game because i went into starfield i think more cautious than you like obviously we're both big bethesda fans but i think i was yeah more nervous and i had lower expectations you're very much guarding your heart i think after because you didn't like fallout 4 very much right no i enjoyed it but i was disappointed by what i like the things that i would want from a fallout game were really not there at all mm. like the role-playing possibilities and the narrative i think were both like pretty objectively weak like i think even if you were to enjoy that game those elements were just not as strong as any other entry really yeah unfortunately neither of those things are the reasons i like fallout 4 you know what i mean like right I, as much as i wanted those things to work for me they they didn't exactly but for a lot of people myself included that's what you play fallout for yeah. you know as much as i appreciated the guns worked this time <laughs> I don't play it for the shooting. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I play it for the possibilities that can happen in dialogue um, and sort of the weird settings you can find. I don't think it's a bad game by any stretch, but I think Fallout 4, I think regardless of what you think about the game, it was trying to be a lot of things. Yeah. And I think in a way that's a critique you can kind of put against any Bethesda game where I think they all, to varying degrees they're all spread a little too thin. Mm -hmm. You know, I think like as much as I think Skyrim is a masterpiece and Oblivion is my muse, like those games do suffer, especially Oblivion suffers from kind of like really great content spread. You know, they go for quantity over quality in a lot of cases. A lot of the caves are copied and pasted, um, you know, and, and how much that gets in the way of the experience will vary by individual. And I think like, you know, The thing to remember, too, is that Oblivion and Skyrim especially, I mean, I think Skyrim, I think, really was the blueprint for open world games for the bulk of this decade. Yeah. Up until very recently. And I think hugely transformative game in in the industry. Definitely. I think, um, you know, us revisiting Skyrim like a couple years ago for a bonus episode, like I still think that game is incredible. Like I think, you know, in some ways it does show its age, but I think it still is this kind of perfect middle ground between like sort of i guess more of like the checklist swiss army knife game versus feeling like a fantasy rpg mm-hmm. you know it, it did kind of have uh enough like edges sanded off to be like have the mainstream appeal it, it continues to have but if you were a fan of oblivion or morrowind i think you would still get a lot out of it there was still a lot of like lore to discover and a lot of ways to build your character that made them feel like you know you were role playing in some way yeah it was very much up to you but i I was thinking about like while playing starfield what is sort of like the bethesda secret sauce in my opinion like what is the thing that i play these games for because again as like 
these other kind of more focused games come out where it's like Baldur's Gate 3 is going to have way more narrative choice and dialogue and role-playing options. Uh, Elden Ring is going to have way more involved combat and like combat options. If this game is trying to be a little bit of everything, what is actually the reason I'm playing it? And I think the thing that I love the most about Skyrim is just that feeling of freedom. I think the really quiet moments while I'm just like in between quests where I might spot something else like that to me is the magic of a Bethesda game is that sense of discovery Mm. and that sense that like the game is is truly open in a way that like you can really craft your own experience I think evidenced by the the alternate start mod right is like yeah you know I I do want to actually talk about the opening of Starfield in comparison to some other Bethesda openings I think that's worth doing uh, in in a bit but I do think the alternate start mod which if you don't know about it in Skyrim allows you to just skip the like first I would say 30 to 40 minutes of Skyrim which is kind of like a a set uh, cinematic set piece in a way um, that has a couple choices in it that you have to make which will kind of you know set you off on your different versions of the main quest but this alternate start mod is like one of the most famous mods in the in the um, creator kit like download section even to this day that allows you to just kind of like wake up in a bed in a space that just says like I am a vampire or I am camping in the woods or I um, you know, MXYZ thing and you just get to choose from this list and it just skips the opening and the main quest entirely. And you can go back to where the main quest starts at any point and like pick it up if you really wanted to do it. But I, I always, whenever I do alternate start, always start as just like I'm camping in the woods and I have nothing. Yeah, because the game feels so malleable and so open that I can really go in any direction, find something completely new, even after playing this game for years and years and years at this point and having done so, so many quest lines, I can always find something new. I can always find a new build you know, that, that I can spec into. I always find new uh, material or weapons or like just new ideas. Uh, and, the, and the game feels open to all of that. I think it's like kind of a miracle in that way. And I think it's one of the reasons I end up going back to Skyrim more frequently than I go back to Oblivion, even though like Oblivion is one of my favorite games of all time. Skyrim is the game I go back to the most frequently. I think A, because of the, the modding scene and how it's built into the game itself, I think is, you know, really spectacular and just like a really cool thing for Bethesda to have done. But B, I just think that that game allows for so much player creativity that I can't help but kind of get whisked away by it every time I see it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The more I return to Skyrim, the more it feels like all of the quests are almost there as like modules of like, here's like an example of the fun you can have. But Mm. really like the fun of the game is just like, wandering around like if you if you just travel on the roads in Skyrim you'll discover so much and I think like the discovery of the danger quests in particular make that world feel so rich and alive and uh it's just amazing so with Starfield I think because I still feel a little bit on the rails I'm not really feeling that way yet and I do think there's something to be said about how segmented space travel feels like when I'm just in the cockpit of the ship, it's kind of thrilling. And I do really love how it like feels like they definitely put a lot of time and thought into like what it feels like to fly around your spaceship. Yeah. I love the sort of FTL, like allotting power to different systems on the fly. Yeah. So cool. And I, I really love the ability to like put together a crew and have them like help you on your ship. Mm-hmm. I also think this is one of like, I, I think Bethesda has also been pretty good about like perks when you level up. That's like another thing they're weird good at that they don't get enough credit for and this game is like they really went all out with the perks like my character is a ronin so i'm like uh 
this kind of lone wanderer that's good with swords. But my like character perks are I'm wanted. So people will just like try to attack me every now and then. I'm a street <laughs> rat, which means I have like, I grew up in Neon City, I think, which I still haven't gotten to. I've been meaning oh, to. Oh, like, man. Okay. Yeah. I, I really am. Uh, so there, we'll get to the settings in yeah, a bit. Yeah. But, um, and then I also just have like a dream house that I can fully customize, but I owe like a mortgage for. And that's like a whole side quest waiting for me. So all in all, like I, I think I definitely feel the like the player freedom. I think they definitely learned the right lessons from Fallout 4 because even though the dialogue isn't quite as limitless as like Dragon Age Origins or Fallout New Vegas, I do find that like when I just hail a ship, one of the options is like, give me everything on board. And it's like a pirate option. Yeah. So like, I do think not having the main character voiced kind of allows for the wider role-playing possibilities. But uh, the the way like space travel works is like, you'll be flying around in your ship, like in orbit of a planet. And I don't know how much the game like lets you just manually via like thruster engines get from planet to planet. It seems like they want you to like kind of mass relay like jump gravity jump to like different systems essentially that's kind of like fast traveling and then when you like land or dock in like a planet or a space station it'll, it will be like a little cutscene. yeah and like it's not a deal breaker but i do think like i kind of wish there were a, and i realize how much work this would be but i do wish there were a couple more moments where it felt like i was kind of physically entering the space mm-hmm. like i I can't, I can't help but recall like outer wilds that feeling of like you know taking off from a planet right. and then all of a sudden you're in space this game has actually made me want to play outer wilds again um which is a game that i really loved but i got motion sick from i haven't felt any motion sickness from starfield so i wonder if maybe that was a temporary thing but regardless i kind of wish there was a little bit more like i could kind of manually go there because i do think that cuts down on that feeling of freedom where i do think i'm kind of beholden to fast travel cutscenes. yeah the game is pretty i think reliant and and focused on the idea of fast traveling between spaces in a lot of cases um there are ways to manually like grab jump from place to place without needing to open a map menu or whatever which i don't think are explained at all but i just kind of discovered in my playtime weirdly and i still find myself fast traveling i think the big thing for me and and i think different people will feel differently about this but i think the big thing for me was the experience of having played a lot of no man's sky right when it came out because no man's sky i think is the game that a lot of people are asking for when they say they don't want any fast travel between these spaces or they or they want that kind of you know tangibility between like i'm getting into my ship i am turning on all the thrusters i'm taking off from the ship there's no loading screen as i'm taking off into the atmosphere there's no loading screen as i'm flying from one planet to another planet etc etc like that is like no man's sky was that at launch and still is that now, even with all of the stuff that they've added, like No Man's Sky will give you that experience. The other criticism that I see levied against this game a lot is this idea that like, if you land on a spot on a planet, which it's worth mentioning, like whenever you're looking at a planet, there are usually a couple points of interest that you can land at. You can also just like point your cursor anywhere on the planet and just land there. Like you don't need to land in those specific spots, which is another thing that it took me a long time to realize. Um, but when you do that, technically there is a limit in how far you can walk. Like eventually you will hit an invisible wall if you just kind of like land at a random spot on a planet. That takes like two hours. Like it takes like two hours of walking to hit that invisible wall 
wall, to be clear. So like, I, I don't know if that's a thing that a lot of people are going to be doing. I don't know if I need to like physically walk across an entire planet to feel totally immersed in it. But on the other hand, that's another thing you can do in No Man's Sky. And I think, again, the experience of that game, playing it at launch, which to be clear, you can go back. I think it's like our second episode of the show ever. I talked a lot about my experience playing No Man's Sky like around when it came out. And even though I liked that game a lot, when it launched which I think I was kind of a dissenting voice there. I think that that game at launch is kind of a blueprint for why you shouldn't have the ability to just walk across an entire barren planet and just like hope that you find something because that's what No Man's Sky was. And that's the thing that no man or that people didn't like about that game initially. And I think Bethesda has kind of steered towards realism in a lot of cases with a lot of the planets you're going to visit. So if you land on like a rocky dust shit planet, you could walk for four hours and not find anything like yeah that that is a possibility so being able to you know lift yourself up into the atmosphere and see a couple icons on that planet that's like here are actual points of interest like you can one of the skills you can get eventually is a scanner that lets you like scan a planet from the atmosphere and you can like see some points of interest that you can land at and like that's a godsend when i saw that i was like thank god thank god i can do this i don't (laughs) i don't need to just wander out in the world but what's nice is if you land at those points of interest sometimes when you bring up your uh your scanner just like in skyrim where like as you're walking around if you got towards a thing that you know you might want to explore like you could see the icon for a cave in the distance and you can't fast travel that cave yet because you haven't discovered it there will be little points that show up on your scanner as you look around that are like unknowns you know and some of them will have icons which will kind of tell you what they are some of them are like you know geological anomalies some of them are like abandoned factories or outposts some of them are like oh would you believe it but like a couple people actually live here things like that and When I go out of my way to find those places, I found it to be like mixed in terms of how I'm feeling about them. But I'm glad that I have the ability to that if I want to. Like when I'm coming back to this game in like three or four years and like starting a new character from scratch or whatever, or starting another run of New Game Plus, which is the thing I have to talk about. I find that like I, I think it will be nice to have that option to be able to explore a planet to its fullest. Like I could land on, you know, Alpha Centauri and just like kind of check out what else is there outside of New Atlantis. Like I said before, like overall, I'm really enjoying my time with it. I'm definitely enjoying it way more than I was expecting to. And I'm like happy about that. I think uh, I think my prediction was kind of right, though. Like I kind of assumed this game would get kind of lukewarm reviews. And that's kind of been the case. Yeah, that was the thing you and I talked about a lot. Right. It was like even just the the pressure on this game to succeed, especially after what happened with Redfall, like. Phil Spencer has been pretty vocal about like Starfield is starting like a new era for Game Pass, you know, or like <laughs> this is this is what Game Pass is going to be like going forward, you know, yeah. which I think is what a lot of people bought into when they first signed up for Game Pass was like, you're going to get stuff like Starfield a lot. And it was like, you know, Halo kind of missed the mark. I think Forza Horizon was like a real winner, was like a real shining star. Um, Hi-Fi Rush was weirdly like a surprise hit. Hi-Fi Rush was like a surprise that. hit, yeah. exactly, which almost feels, you know, I, I know I know they they don't like to say that they're like the Netflix of games or whatever, but like it does feel like Netflix were like, you know, they greenlit like 45 different shows, didn't market any of them. And Stranger Things is the one that took off. And they're like, OK, let's invest in that. I would say like for the amount of things working against this game, just like in the air. Yeah. I think Starfield has done about as well as it could have. Like, I think like in terms of, you know, like I don't put a lot of stock in review scores, but I think like the overall reception, like is it's definitely not a disaster. It's definitely not like a slam dunk, but it like did pretty well. I think that's like about as well as it could have done. Yeah, I think like as much as you and I hate Metacritic as like a website and an idea, um, I think it's like hovering around 88% or something, which is like pretty good. Yeah, my biggest critique with the game so far that I think kind of bleeds into my more like nitpicky thing 
things. It's just that I think overall it's like just a little bland. That's kind of my my like biggest gripe with it is that I find there are like places and and moments that I think are really awe-inspiring and make me like want to learn more about the world. But overall, I struggle. Like, I think a lot of the planets are like barren and have abandoned mining posts. And like, I get what they're going for. I think they're kind of the way the narrative is forming and the way like the game is setting itself up. They're going for this certain uh, type of sci-fi where like magic and aliens exist, but like no one has really seen them yet. And I think that's a kind of a fun moment to put the player in. Like, I think it is sort of this not like low fantasy, but sort of the sci-fi equivalent of that, where like the things that are just like in every shot of Destiny 2, like might exist in this world, but you have to find them. That's cool. But I think because the bulk of it is just so like kind of industrial, it's hard for me to get a lot of motivation to like want to explore. Like I'm pretty much just sticking to the fast travel locations. And I think of, of there are like three big cities Neon City, I imagine, is the least bland, which I haven't been to yet. It's probably coloring my opinion a little. New Atlantis, I think, is incredible. New Atlantis is like one of the cooler settings I've seen in a game. And it reminds me so much of like Starfleet Academy. Like it feels by mm. far the most Star Trek. And it is, I, I think what this game kind of reminds me the most of is the Outer Worlds, ironically, uh, but with like less satire, where it's like, you know, corporate America has just kind of spread across uh, the galaxy. Right. And you feel that in New Atlantis, where like there are all these big fancy stores. But I think it's interesting. I, I do think there's like, you know, world building there. And it kind of gives me a sense of like humanity has advanced, but they're kind of stuck in the same problems. Yeah. Yeah. You, you start the game a couple of years after a war has happened between the United Colonies and the Free Star Collective, which is like literally the Civil War, like just yeah. straight up. It's the Civil War, but it happened again and this time in space. So like I really enjoy New Atlantis. I, I just went to the like kind of uh, Wild West town and le- less so enjoyed that place. Like, I, I think they're kind of trying to recapture the New Vegas magic. And it's just like, eh, it's just like, I don't know. I didn't really enjoy my time there as much. It's an interesting space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I get like cool space cowboy, but like a little too on the nose for me. So yeah, I mean, like I, I'm still early on enough that I'm trying to get a sense of like, who is my character? How do they play? Who is my crew? Like, who do I want on my ship? All of that I'm really enjoying. And I think like they definitely have figured out how to do combat. I think the, like the gunplay and all that is pretty good. But again, it's kind of weird how it feels like, like it feels very Fallout, even though it's not like going for that kind of like brutal Mad Max setting. I I just wonder if there was maybe an opportunity to have like, I don't want it to be full Destiny, but like just a a splash more kind of sci-fi. And that's subjective. But I just think like sometimes I struggle to find what the game's central identity is. And that's kind of why I think it will probably not like I don't know if this will really get that enthusiastic of a fan base because I think like something like Skyrim it so clearly knows what it is like there are a lot of different corners you can meet that game at but like 
dude with a Viking helmet. And like that game came out in the thick of like the Game of Thrones era. And so many people were down for that, like Conan-esque fighting a dragon experience. And like that's how the game kind of pulls you in. I don't know what Starfield is really promising the player other than like you might find something, <laughs> you know, and that's I think the kind of crucial error of the game for me is just like I, I really commend them for trying to make a sci-fi setting that is not just the same shit we see all the time. Like as much as I think it might be a little bit dry, I do think it feels very distinct from like the kind of generic military sci-fi shooters we see all the time i think new Aquila, the cowboy city is the closest you get to like yeah there's a little bit of a copy and paste from like firefly and the 45 million things inspired by yeah, firefly. right exactly but yeah i mean th that's kind of my thing right now and i imagine that might change the more i play it but overall i would say like i'm having a lot of fun with just like the general sense of place and combat and like I am intrigued by the questions that are left unanswered. I'm still a little bit guarded because I think I felt similarly in Fallout 4 where I kept kind of waiting to find out like who my character was and what my like play style was going to be and who I would become. And then I kind of realized that was never going to happen. I have more confidence that in this game I will have that moment click, but I'm still waiting for it. So that's kind of where I'm at with Starfield currently. Yeah. That's so <laughs> Stephen, if we had recorded this podcast like four days ago, I would have had the exact same feeling as yeah, you. Yeah, right. And I, I totally recognize that this might just be how the early hours are. Yeah, yeah. I just I I just I want to emphasize this that like for those of you out there, I think this episode is coming out the day that it's like wide released to everybody. If you feel that way, you know, in the in the first like five to ten hours, but you're enjoying it the same way as Steven is, I think just keep playing the main story. And and this is the only Bethesda game that I can ever recommend this for. But <laughs> the main quest in this game is the best main quest in any Bethesda game. Easily. Wow. Like it is narratively super interesting. It is thematically about something that I think for me clicks into place every other side quest and every other like random encounter experience that I've had. The game, I think holistically mechanically and thematically is trying to say something both like about video games and about humanity and about some like larger ideas that i really don't want to and i think because of my embargo can't spoil but i saw um a review from gene park who uh, reviews games over for the washington post who specifically said almost verbatim what i did about like he started the game didn't like it very much he even like posted some screenshots of some early versions of his review which specifically was like the game feels barren you know space is vast and empty and boring whatever whatever i don't like the video game and he was saying as he started writing his review he kept going back to it and playing more and more and more and more and slowly it started to click into place and once he finished the main campaign and then kept going after that was when he started to realize that he loved the game and i think I had that click into place a little bit earlier than my finishing the main quest, but this is the only game that I will ever recommend this. Just play the main quest until it's over first. If you run into any walls in terms of like combat skill checks, level checks, whatever, like that's when I think you should deviate and try some other stuff. And like, for example, there's one point in the main quest where I just completely got rocked in space combat because I had been absolutely ignoring like shipbuilding, upgrading my ship, whatever, whatever. I just started with the starting ship. I played that 
you know, with that ship for like 15 hours before I reached a point where that just like wasn't allowed anymore. It was like, you need to engage with this to continue or you need to get a better ship, like save up, just go buy another one or like do some side quests, figure it out or build one from scratch if you want to. And that was when I started engaging with that. But point being, making it to the end of the main quest really solidified for me. I think that I I think if more if enough people get to the end of the game and see what I have seen and see what like Gene has seen in his review, the things that change people's minds, I think about this game will be rolling credits on it for the first time. I think if enough people hit that, it does have the possibility to have that kind of Skyrim staying power. And I wouldn't have said that even before last night, like I rolled credits on the game for the first time last night before last night, my take on this game was like, I think it's really good for specific people who want this kind of game in space or like me specifically, Wanted to enjoy Fallout, but couldn't because of the like apocalyptic vibe of it just made it feel like heavy and dour to explore Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. You know, even though I liked Fallout 4 a little bit more than 3, mainly because it was a little bit more colorful and a little bit more interesting to explore that world. I I always feel like I'm at a remove from the world of Fallout Uh, and New Vegas. I just like couldn't get into really at all. I I just like I couldn't get into the role playing of it because I hated being there so much. Like I just (laughs) I just didn't want to experience that world. I didn't want to be there. But I like Bethesda games enough that I was enjoying its system. So like I always give those games a shot. I'll play them for like, you know, 30 or 40 hours and I'll probably back off. But I don't revisit them the way I do like Skyrim and Oblivion. Starfield, I felt like if you feel that way about Fallout, this game is Fallout, but in a hospitable landscape where exploring is like fun and interesting and has a lot more possibilities because I think like fallout the the possibility space of what you're going to find is rooted in like a very in a very I think tactile world that they've created right like you kind of can can imagine the boundaries of like what is possible in fallout I think where it gets really interesting is when you like visit other vaults for example and they have like other weird experiments that are happening where there, there are some locations I don't think you've seen that would challenge that read but overall I know what you're saying like it is like rooted in what remains for yes. the most part with some glowing exceptions yeah starfield I think the the boundaries of that possibility space are a little bit further extended i think because you are in space and because space is like essentially a random number generator of possibilities like in reality uh and and bethesda has tried to honor that in its video game there are planets you will land on that will just be like shockingly beautiful just like stunning vistas incredible plant life you know the kind of stuff that i think no man's sky really tried to achieve but because of the procedural generation meant that like you really needed an actual roll of the dice to see something that was like really spectacular and really great but a lot of the spaces that bethesda has created in terms of its like main star systems that you can go visit and some of the main planets that you'll go to visit they were able to handcraft some of these spaces to look absolutely stunning and then some of them are like dusty shit space rocks you know like (laughs) you really do have you know both sides of that coin but also the possibility space of the story and the narrative i think is really interesting because as as you mentioned the game starts off with you like as just like a guy who works as a miner and you're just in a cave and you just like have to go around and mine out some space rocks and you end up finding the right space rock that gives you like weird visions and then you join constellation which is a group of people uh, who are specifically targeted towards just like discovering the unknowns in space. Right. And I think that that to me, that idea 
was what kind of solidified me on like, I'm interested in that as like a main quest campaign. Like I, I, you know, you go look at Skyrim and Oblivion where it's like, there's a little bit of a chosen one narrative. I know Oblivion's, you know, uh, kind of adjacent to that. Not, not quite that, but like that stuff was never as compelling to me in, in those games as like some of the side content. Like I was always interested in joining the Thieves Guild and the Dark Brotherhood and et cetera, et cetera. From what I played, the main quest of, of Morrowind is significantly more interesting as well. Um, that is one where I think the main quest might kind of overpower the rest of the game. Mm, yeah. More, more on that one day. This game, I found just even that central conceit of like you join Constellation and Constellation is about like searching the unknown in a time when, you know, people feel like space has been charted. Like people, people that you talk to out in the world, when you tell them you're from Constellation, like, why would you be like an exploratory spacefaring? And that's the thing, I, uh, not to cut you off, but like what's so fascinating to me and one of the reasons I want to keep playing uh, and also trusting your advice is like my feeling of like space feels a little bland is how everyone else feels in the game. Yes. Which is maybe not the best way to like open a video game to be clear, but I do think it's like probably going to make those moments of discovery really pay off because I think it will feel, you know, this, I, I messaged you like this game feels like Mass Effect before humans met the Turians. Right. And like, you know, I, and that's the thing, like being on New Atlantis, it reminded me so much of the Citadel mm -hmm. and Mass Effect 1, where I'm like, this is such like a cool, like legit sci-fi setting. Yeah. And New Atlantis, I think, is sort of this attempt at a utopia, mm -hmm. uh, but it's still so kind of pulled down by like the mini mall aspect of it. Right. You know, uh, and yeah. that's I think that's I think that's purposeful. You know, I think that is kind of what it shares with Outer Worlds, which was Obsidian's kind of like spiritual fallout successor mm -hmm. um, that game is is much more like leading with the satire but similar concepts explored in that game this is definitely a, i think more optimistic though whereas outer worlds was like kind of very bleak and it's like the options they present you with in, in that game are not ideal in terms of like how to deal with corporations yeah i think i think starfield is being a little bit more subtle in its opinions on these kinds of things like new atlantis i think is a great example of that have you been to the well yet no i haven't so the well is uh, and uh, sorry to spoil this but i think it's like important like new atlantis when i showed up there i was like this is starfleet academy this is yeah. you know kind of like a soapy kind of like sanded down version of the utopia like they they really want this to be like the beautiful vista like the possibilities of humankind and and the ability to travel between uh space colonies and whatever whatever but once you start exploring as you said like it is kind of a mini mall like it's just filled with brands like there is like a starbucks equivalent on you know in every yeah uh, in every space that you can travel to in in new atlantis there's like straight up like the bart subway system from san francisco like just like plopped into this i asked the 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 barista at the starbucks equivalent what his favorite drink on the menu was and he said corporate policy makes me say that they're all my favorite so like <laughs> there there is some satire going on for sure yeah but um, beneath what you've seen so far is a place called the well which is a seedy underground space uh, that is filled with like just straight up less privileged people like there there is a hierarchy of so there's of, a midgar going on yes exactly there's a midgar going on totally and 
I I found myself in my opening hours kind of exploring New Atlantis being like, this is a little like even for someone who I, I consider myself to be pretty optimistic. And I it's one of the reasons I love Star Trek The Next Generation so much is like I just love this kind of like heady cerebral version of kind of not a quite utopic future, but like what the collective work of humanity and the other, you know, alien species that joined the Federation, like what, when all of these people put their heads together can accomplish, right? Like, you know, removed from war and, and money and capitalism, like what are we capable of? And when I showed up in new Atlantis, I was like, even for me, someone who loves that about Star Trek, the next generation, I was like, new Atlantis feels a little bit too sanded off. And it's a little I, fishy. And when I yeah. went down to the well, I was like, this is making me feel a little bit better about this game. And also it's a little bit too on the nose, <laughs> you know, in some yeah. ways. Right, right. Um, but the more I played, the more I started to experience, you know, some of the other cities that you can visit, some of the smaller outposts you can visit, some of the side stories, having conversations, helping more people, uh, hurting more people, and just like really got getting a more holistic view of what this game is about, which I'm sorry I can't like go more in depth on because it would really spoil way too much. And that's kind of the biggest problem with talking about like where the story goes and why people should play the story is like, I don't want to ruin for anybody the experience that I had realizing what's possible in this game and realizing what this game is trying to explore and what it wants to do. The new game plus experience, which I, I, I talked about briefly on Twitter, just being like, you know, I finished the game, I rolled credits, I'm jumping into new game plus and it's great. A couple of people asked me like, can you expound on that? Can you talk about why? And unfortunately I cannot like talking about why new game plus is cool and why you would want to do it. I think um, would spoil too much of what the game has going for it. And I think that's because it's a game that is doing one of the things that you and I love and talk about so much on this show, which is like deeply entwining those two things together. Like the gameplay and the narrative are are deeply entwined. And it's one of the first times I've seen Bethesda get really introspective about what it means to be Bethesda and to make the kinds of games that they make. I, I think holistically, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but like the game is very much asking questions about ambition and and the ambition of humanity and like the costs of that ambition specifically which is in direct conversation with bethesda being a huge studio known for making games that change the industry needing to go back to the drawing board and do it again you know like every yeah. time bethesda says that we're making a new game that's the expectation on bethesda you know it's like chris nolan making a movie he's one of the only directors who is kind of given free reign to just have his own intellectual property do whatever he wants with them he's not making sequels to stuff except for batman because he wanted to you know like he's making new stuff every time and that's because whenever he comes out with a movie there is this expectation and people show up at the theater because they're like i'm gonna see something i've never seen before and it might may or may not change things forever you know yeah i will say too like despite my critiques of starfield like it has definitely won me back like not that i was you know standing with my arms crossed like waiting for bethesda to lose me but like you know i, I was more guarded after four and then fall 76 like i just didn't really know what i wanted from bethesda anymore and i do think this game even in its current iteration where i'm at I, I think it's working for me enough that I'm excited to see where this game goes and also what they do next. Like this, this weirdly, and this is maybe what they want. This has made me much more optimistic for Elder Scrolls six. Yeah. If only just for the weird perks. So I'm like, I can't wait to see the, the Cyrodiil version of this, you know? Yeah. Um, which the, I, it yeah. should be noted that they did, I think, say officially that they have like started actual development of elder scrolls 6 now they're like done with with pre-production and they're like now in actual development for elder scrolls 6 which you know it's wild that they announced that game as long ago as they did but i think this game shows a lot of like 
reevaluation in a lot of ways. Even for the things that don't work for me, I just think like it's definitely a step up from Fallout 4 in like yeah. almost every way. Um, definitely from Fallout 76. I, I think it also succeeds at feeling like a new thing, you know, like as much as it feels more like Fallout, like I think Fallout is very distinct from this. And I'm, I'm hoping too that like what this game's existence can allow Fallout to be is also different. Like maybe Fallout can kind of return more to sort of like the tabletop roots and mm. be less of like a looter shooter. And this can be, you know, more of the exploring and combat game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I wonder if it will kind of take the pressure off Fallout and they can be like going back to Star Trek. It's kind of like Deep Space Nine, how like mm. TNG was the flagship series and then like Voyager kind of was. Right. And in the middle, Deep Space Nine was like kind of allowed to do whatever they wanted. Yeah. Because uh, they were like the ignored middle child. And that <laughs> show is so unique because of it. Right. And I wonder if that's kind of how Fallout will become. Yeah. Or if they'll just give it to Obsidian again. Who knows? I think one of the interesting things about Starfield, not to, not to keep harping on this opening situation, but like when you look at the beginning of Fallout 3, right, as you mentioned, is like you start as a baby and then you grow up and then you leave the vault and like, wow, what an opening that is. You know, you have that moment when you leave the vault and it's like, oh, my God, open world, exciting. I can do anything. Fallout 4, kind of a similar thing where like, you know, you have a kid and your kid is stolen from you while you're in cryo sleep. And like, that's a really interesting, inciting event, which I think, unfortunately, the game doesn't like make good on in terms of its main campaign. Yeah. But I, I still think that opening is like really sharp and interesting. And then if, you know, if that game was like a linear kind of like naughty dog game, I think that would have been a much more impactful. opening. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I think the openness just makes it weird. Well, that's what that's what's know? strange about yeah. it is I think the the opening is impactful it's just the rest of the game retroactively makes it feel like yeah like it doesn't hit yeah and then you know you look at oblivion where you start off with patrick stewart as the emperor like breaking you out of prison which i think you know takes a little bit too long but it's still like such a fun no it's opening. perfect yeah it's it's perfect in every way <laughs> um and then skyrim opening you know similarly with you know you uh as a prisoner again you know about to get your head chopped off when a dragon shows up for the first time in a hundred years and like a whole you know sets off the main quest of that game i know like that opening has become a meme like forever they're like so you're finally awake yeah. and like we now use the alternate start mod to just like not have to play through it a millionth time but what a good like that opening establishes so much about the state of the world yeah. like within less than in like 15 minutes you know yeah they do such a good job setting up the civil war i thought that was the main quest and then i quickly learned otherwise Say, yeah the first time i played skyrim i also thought the civil war was the main quest for a while yeah but all all of that said like those are the most recent bethesda openings you know those those are the ones that i think we're comparing against so when you start this game and it takes like five to six hours to even feel like to even feel like you know what you're doing i think yeah. it's kind of one of the yeah. bigger things is like the the one of the things i said to our friend will was like I think at the beginning, you have things you want to do because you have expectations for what you are capable of doing in a big open world Bethesda game set in space. And then the next couple hours are you realizing that the things you want to do are maybe things that you can't do. So then you're learning what you can do. And I think that's that's the point when you start to question, like, do I like this game even like, OK, now that I'm starting to understand the possibility space of the player, like what I can be in this world, I don't know how much I'm like gelling with this. And then once you get over that hump, you get back to thinking like, OK, here's what I want to do. And once you get back to that, like want and once you get back to that, like I, I have a full understanding, I've, I've wrapped my arms around the entirety of Starfield. I get it. I have an idea of what is possible here and what I am capable of is when I started to click with the game again. And I think 
it's unfortunate that the the opening doesn't put its best foot forward. I think there are people who will like play that mining sequence, be like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is it. Because you do the mining sequence and then you walk out of the cave and it's presented like they do this, the big swelling Bethesda score. They do everything that is done in the Skyrim opening in the Oblivion, actually not the Skyrim opening, but the Oblivion opening. And actually, you know, they do it in the Skyrim opening once you finally like leave that cave and you're on your way to Rorikstead. Um, yeah. So you have that the Oblivion opening when you leave the prison and both Fallout 3 and 4 when you you leave the vault for the first time where the score swells and you're like here's the open world you can go to that mountain you can go do this you can go do this they do that in starfield and what you see is just like dust and it's just like <laughs> it's just like a landing pad for a spaceship and somebody lands and is like hey are you the chosen one and then sp- space pirates attack and you do like a gunfight and then you're kind of like on your way and the next place he goes new atlantis which is like the exact opposite end of the spectrum in terms of like what you've just seen and experienced, which I could see being so disorienting for people. And New Atlantis, even though you and I had like a pretty positive take on it, the first time I landed there, I was like, oh, this is what the game is. And I think coming out of like playing games like Cyberpunk 2077 and Baldur's Gate 3, for example, being like plopped back into a Bethesda RPG and seeing like it is pretty much exactly what you expect. Like if you've played those other games, like you are getting that again. Like it is NPCs walking around. Their eyes look kind of wild. You know, they, they just kind of like <laughs> mutter to themselves and say things to you like randomly out of nowhere. Like it is a Bethesda ass RPG in all of those ways. I can understand why people play this game. And, you know, first impressions are the hardest to undo. That's the first impression you're going to have of this game. And for a lot of people, that's going to settle into them. And that's going to be their take on the entirety of Starfield. And I totally get that if that's your experience. I do think this is a game that is asking you to be patient. I don't even think it's asking you. I think it kind of demands it by accident. I think it demands that you be patient by accident because eventually it will kind of reveal itself to you and you'll settle into it. But I just think that the first opening hours are it's why so many people are talking about it is like really going to rub some people the wrong way. On the other hand, The reason I'm willing to give this game so much grace is because of the amount of times you and I and everybody go back and play Bethesda RPGs and play them for hundreds of hours. You know, this is a game where like if the opening five hours of the game aren't working for people, that's like one percent of the amount of time you're going (laughs) to be putting into Starfield in, in, in the long term, especially when they start adding DLC and start adding mod support, for example, like all of these things that like we like know are probably going to come down the line because this is just what Bethesda is known for. This game is not just the thing that we have now, but the thing that we have now, I think, is interesting and cool. But we're going to be playing it for a long time. And and I think, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier on, like, is this going to be a Skyrim level hit? I don't I don't think so. I don't think in terms of like sales figures getting ported to every console for the next forever, like probably not. I don't probably not be that. But I do think for a group of people, and I think it's a large group of people because Bethesda is a AAA game studio. Their games sell millions of copies. This is like, you know, it's a big deal. But for a large group of people, this game will be their Skyrim again. This will be a game that they go back to over and over and over again over years. And I think that's that's exciting and cool that Bethesda managed to do that because as you mentioned earlier, like the expectation here and, and the like level setting of the previous couple of games was like, you do need to bounce back a little bit in terms of like public opinion and public consciousness in terms of just like quality of game. And like, are you able to deliver on these like really ambitious promises and to have a game that I think not only does that, you know, for the specific group of people who are like looking for this kind of game and will click into it and enjoy it, but also to have like, the story of the game be about that, I think is so cool and so interesting. And it's like, 
it's why I keep going back to it, even though I've like beaten the game. I've played, you know, 30 something hours. I'm like, for all intents and purposes, like I could put it down for a while and go play something else. But this morning I woke up and I just played more Starfield until we had to record. I was like interested to go bounce around some planets, take on some side quests, do some other stuff. It's all still working for me. The one thing I want to I want to talk about with you specifically, it's it's the first thing I posted as soon as the embargo broke was there's a lot of people that want this game to be Skyrim in space and it's specifically Oblivion in space. <laughs> and uh-huh. there are a lot there are a lot of reasons for that. This is just a thing I, I, I think it would be fun to talk about. There are a lot of reasons for that. Chief among them, obviously, is the fact that one of the so when you build a character, you know, you can do all the thing, you can change your hairstyle, you can do all the stuff, but you choose your background, right, which is three different backgrounds that you get to choose. Uh, they're, they're, I think they're called traits, right? You, you mentioned yours were the neon street rat you had. What were the other two that you picked? Wanted and dream home. Wanted and dream home, which are really fun. Uh, for yeah. me, I also picked neon street rat because I just thought that was interesting. And I was excited to get to neon because I think like that's where the cyberpunk 2077 yeah. comparison is going to be most obvious. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I just, I want to know what it's like to have grown up in the cyberpunk th- space. I like never play an evil character except for Bethesda games. And I'm mm. like, cause the, the evil factions are always the best written, yeah. but like dark brotherhood thieves guild, you know, like yeah. the troublemakers I should say are always like the crew to roll with. Yeah. Like the first thing that happened was I like, get to new Atlantis and someone's like, do you want to be a cop? I'm like, fuck off. No. <laughs> uh, so I cannot wait to get to neon. Um, great. I did, I did recently, uh, steal something. So every every time you enter um, a planet that has like a real like city in it, they will scan your ship for contraband. Yeah, which I, I love that. It's very it's very it's like a nice little sci fi detail. Yeah, I stole something that was contraband and I didn't realize it. And I had it like on my person as I was flying into a city recently. And the United Colonies security force like scanned my ship was like, you have contraband and threw me in jail, but gave me an option of an out on the condition that I infiltrate the Crimson Fleet, which are like the band of space pirates and like go undercover as one of them for a while and then start like siphoning information back to them as like a as like a mole. That's sick, which was wild. And I haven't started that yet, but I'm so excited because I I haven't done any of the like really seedy evil stuff yet. Uh, But I was like, I'm in New Game Plus now. Like, I left all my companions on the ship. I'm like, you're not coming with me. I'm just going to do real wild shit and see what this (laughs) game lets me get up to. And I'm really excited to start doing that. On the flip side, uh, oh, sorry, we were talking about character creation. Those are your perks. I I also picked Neon Street Rat. I picked uh, Hero Worship, which was very clearly indicating that the adoring fan from oblivion would come back and that there was there was a an adoring fan out there somewhere that i was going to go find um and i also picked a trait called kid stuff which meant that your parents were still alive and you had to send money home every once in a while i think every week (laughs) you have to send two percent of your money home what i didn't realize until i started playing was that meant that every once in a while you'd get a letter from your parents it's like come visit and when you go visit you know it's just like them being like oh i'm so proud of you you join you know whatever constellation etc etc but i keep like finding them out in the world randomly like i went to the like (laughs) the really like seedy underground nightclub in neon mom yeah yeah Yeah. and and i just like i saw all the like little text boxes of all the people like kind of talking and like murmuring you know there's like this honestly some of the best club music i've heard like in media 
Is it whoever, whoever, <laughs> whoever created the score for that club specifically in neon, like shout out to you again, even though I use the term bland more than once, the visual design of like a lot of the ships and the robots, the sound design is incredible. Yeah, it's so good. I've been playing this game with headphones a lot. It's the presentation amazing. overall is great. I just think like the specific like genre of sci-fi is what I was kind of commenting on. Yeah. But anyway, so I, I walk into this club, I see like all the text boxes of all the people kind of murmuring and I see it says dad and it says, oh no. <laughs> so they commented on the fact that dad was at the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just like the, the dad and the mom were like over in the corner and they were like, oh my God, he's coming this way. He's coming this way. He's coming this way. And yeah. then you talk to them and you're like, what are you doing here? And they're like, why don't we just forget that you saw us? Here? Like, <laughs> you know, your mom has been wanting to go on vacation for a long time. Like, it's so funny. Anyway, those, those are the traits I picked. But like, you know, you have the adoring fan show up, very oblivion. New Atlantis has essentially like the Citadel spire in the middle. Yeah. But even outside of that, it's the stuff like you go and do a main quest. Things are absolutely wild. You see some stuff that you can't believe that you've seen. And your companion turns to you and is like, hey, I found something for you and hands you a sandwich, <laughs> you know? Also, the, one of the first things I messaged you was like, I'm obsessed with the fact that every like you'll talk to someone for like five minutes and they'll just name drop like every federation that exists and they're like tragic backstory. And mm -hmm. then when you end it, they're like, bye bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and give a bonus to anyone, the, the people or person who decided to bring back the close up, um, yes. like talking to people and having them like have to either turn around or just like look over their shoulder and have yeah. this close up and, and have that be the way like, or even sometimes they'll be like frozen in a position where they're facing, they're like leaning over their computer yes, facing yes, the other way and yes. they have the entire conversation with you without looking at you is so funny. And, and the cuts to the companions too, because if you have companions with you, they sometimes will chime in and there's yeah. even some dialogue options you can let the companion speak up on your behalf. I, I think this stuff with the companions is actually very well done. Yeah. I really like Sarah. I haven't met anyone else who's like, I've gotten a strong sense of character from as much as her yet. But regardless, like assembling my crew has been one of my goals. Cause you can also see there's a whole like setup of like what everyone's specialty on the ship is. Mm -hmm. And that will like benefit your ship. Like that's where I think I'm going to really lose myself in this game. Yeah. And that's where I feel like it feels like almost kind of what I wanted from Mass Effect, where I kind of wanted a better sense of like, okay, I'm building this team in Mass Effect 2, but like, what are the actual benefits on the ship, like with Tally as an engineer? Mm -hmm. You know, like, right. I think giving numbers to that stuff is really beneficial. It's something that I think Baldur's Gate 3 does very well, where like, you'll meet characters that, that will, you know, like, um, one of the characters has this sort of like, deus ex machina like plot device in his inventory and in any other game that would just be like said and maybe show up later but you can use it at any time <laughs> it's just like in your radial yeah. menu of spells and it's so funny that they just like unceremoniously listed there but i think just like again it's like having the mechanics intertwined with the narrative it, it's always going to work even if it's a small thing yeah yeah Honestly, the ability to assign more people to my ship was like really the main impetus for me getting a new ship in the first place was the, the ship you start with is called Frontier and you're only given like two slots on your ship in terms of like crew that you can assign to it. But I was like, I got to get a bigger ship. I got to have like the whole team. I, I need I need to assemble the crew. And it's so fun that they're like, I think I think Bethesda said there's 40 companions to choose from in terms of like, oh, that's cool. people that you can like add to your ship, but also like bring along with you. Adoring fan is one of them, to be clear. I always oh, had yeah. a assigned to the ship and it's 
so funny. Like, every time you take off or land, he'll have something to say about it. He'll be like, another perfect takeoff. <laughs> oh, I wish I chose him. He's so That's good. That's amazing. He's so good. Um, I, I'm obsessed with him. And he's just always asleep in the bed when I need to sleep there to like heal or something. <laughs> Anyway, you can have up to 40 companions. As you mentioned, they all have different perks and stuff that will like change change the uh, the functions of your ship in different ways if you have them assigned to those specific spots, which is so cool. Um, but uh, you can also just like hire random people too. like every once in a while, there'll be someone who'll be like, you know, it'll just say like demolitions expert or something. Mm-hmm. And like you can hire them to your ship. You don't have to pay the money, but, you know, you can maybe like negotiate down if you have the negotiation skill you can negotiate their pay down or something like that if you want to i should say after you choose those three traits you also choose the skills which you've commented on the skills i think are really interesting in this game i love i love the way they handled the skills specifically like i didn't i didn't realize how much of an rpg this game was going to be like they really allow you to role play in this game in a way i wasn't really expecting and that also feels more oblivion because i think like oblivion really allowed like one of the things skyrim did that i think was overall a good choice was they really streamlined the leveling up aspect yeah like you level up faster and you level up the more you do something the better your character will be at that thing but when you level up it's like health magic or stamina and then you can like choose perks in Mm -hmm. a number of the different skills overall i think that was like just far enough that it was like easy to understand but it still felt like a big rpg any step more you get into that sort of generic like combat stealth you know whatever third option skill tree yeah which i think we're all kind of bored of at this point this game brings back like like oblivion had some bullshit like entire skill trees no one even knew existed and i love that about like yeah. you could be a hand-to-hand character you could study mysticism like no one even knows what spells those are like no <laughs> one ever did that uh this game has a lot of that where like there's there are skill trees just for like cooking um mm-hmm. and like what's cool too is how they're divided i think it's there's physical science social and tech i believe yeah um, there's one more there's five. I can't remember what the fifth one is, but yeah. But it, one of them is like a lot, a lot to do with just like how good your ship is and how good of a pilot you are. Yeah. And, and I've been focusing mostly on like social and that and a mm. few like uh, combat perks. Like I'm yeah. trying to play like a stealthy, smooth talking pilot, you know, yeah. who, who will inevitably become like a Neon City person. Right. Th- this is the first game in Bethesda's entire lineup where in my first playthrough, I didn't spec into sneak at all. Like I, I have mm. not been sneaking around. I've been like mostly like running in guns of blazing. What is funny though, is that I haven't invested anything in the combat perks at all. Also, I started with my backstory as a diplomat, which meant that I was like all of all of the skills that were chosen for me were like all in the social section. So like I have good persuasion for example. And this is a thing I talked about when we talked about Baldur's Gate 3, where I was like, I kind of judge RPGs, you know, that are like writing heavy specifically on how well they allow me to talk my way out of encounters and situations, right? Like if I, if I'm specking into persuasion as a stat, I want to be able to use that as often as possible. And I want that to be worth the investment in the skill points, because I think there's always a question with Bethesda games for me, at least in like, how much does Bethesda honor the the specking into persuasion i think fallout 4 is like a really 
unfortunate example of like i went into that game specced into persuasion expecting that to be helpful for me and, the and only, you just got more money you just got more money like if yeah. you, anyone you talk to if a persuasion check popped up it was just like oh i get 500 credits out of this person and usually that meant that you were like harassing them and you were like kind of a bad person which i wasn't trying to do in fallout 4 to be fair even skyrim like speech in skyrim was basically useless yeah like that one guard in riften you can talk out of a <laughs> shakedown right i always thought speech should be tied to the shouts like that would make the shouts more powerful oh, that's interesting but uh you know who the hell am i who the hell are you in this game i specced into persuasion again hoping of all hopes that i would be able to use it and uh boy can i like persuasion if you spec into that and use it a lot hugely transformative in the way you play this game going back to how this is more oblivion it is speechcraft yes it is it is like that awkward ass close-up of choosing a few different options and then going like no no not this time yeah until you somehow win i still don't know how it works but i love it i think it's in great. this okay so the, the way it works in this is uh yeah, please explain because I, I have no idea what i'm doing if you choose persuasion uh what ends up happening is you launch into kind of like a persuasion mini game as you said kind of like oblivion but like way less oblique than in oblivions speechcraft um, was grim yeah it was really <laughs> bizarre i still don't understand how it works in oblivion to be clear i love it um, i think it's great but in this game what happens is you'll get a list of dialogue options and next to each of those options you'll see plus one plus two plus four plus five um, and on the bottom there's a meter with a bunch of like tick marks so you'll see like okay i need to i need to get six points with this person for example and i and next to that it'll say how many how many turns you have like how many times you're able to say something to this person before they just like shut you down entirely so it'd be like okay you have two turns to build up six points and you have you know as i mentioned that list of dialogue options each of them with a point value and the higher that point value for that specific line of dialogue the the harder it will be to convince the person of that line of dialogue. So you need to be very specific about like, okay, I'm going to start off with something easy to kind of warm them up to me, right? So I'm going to do like a plus one or a plus two dialogue option to kind of warm them up. And then the next time will be like a little bit easier to hit the like plus four, for example. So if you do a plus two and a plus four and you fill up those six points that you need to uh, get that person to agree with you, then you will have persuaded them. Um, That's pretty cool. I, I, I will also say I love the lock picking in this game. Oh my God, it's so good. It's maybe the so I'm I'm a lone defender of the of the like Eldritch Oblivion lock picking. I'm like no, weirdly I also good at it. it. I think it's great. Yeah. I think it's perfect. It's like a weird trumpet. Um, <laughs> the Oblivion and, and Fallout <laughs> really got me. <laughs> I got this chest. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> I wish that's how um, it worked. This sort of like rotating the pick became like the norm for a bit. The way this works, it's almost like a weird like 3D puzzle where like. Yeah. You see this like there are three discs and there are little like holes within the side and you can choose various like keys to match up. Like it's hard to explain, but you basically rotate these shapes around where the holes in the circle are and you try to match them up and you also to kind of think ahead to like which ones you use mm-hmm. for the other openings yeah when i first saw that they called them digipics i'm like come on but i'm like totally sold on on digi lock picking it's great this is this is what i mean is like that's the kind of stuff where like you roll your eyes at it in the beginning and then slowly it all becomes part of like if i have to be honest about bethesda games real quick yeah let's do it let's be real for a second let's be real we've been lying the whole time yeah Let's tell the truth for once. Uh, <laughs> the thing about Bethesda games for me is that I think the idea of immersion in them is fun and cool 
but is never really the case because there's always going to be something that will just rip you out of that. You know, yeah. something like calling it DigiPix is like, here's the the, uh, the thing you and I always say about Oblivion is it's like the community theater version of an RPG and like, <laughs> calling it calling it DigiPix is the community theater version of the spacefaring <laughs> open world RPG. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and you know, the I've just saw like a profound, interesting cutscene, And now my uh, companion is offering me a sandwich. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. That's like, it feels so oblivion. Like they, they the thing I texted you about this game, I think it was yesterday. Uh, all the days are bleeding together. But like <laughs> the thing about this game to me is like, it feels like your favorite band went back and made something like their first album again and it like sounds good it really feels like they look back on oblivion yep. and just like on their own legacy and like okay like we may we might have like lost the plot a bit like what are we what are our things you know what do we really want to focus on because i do think but that like there there seems to be a lot of passion there still like i think they yeah. you know it's a huge studio i have no idea what went into making this game but like i i do think like todd howard like genuinely loves this stuff yeah. and i think the people who work on it the interviews and documentaries i've watched like they all seem to be really proud of what they're doing and i especially commend bethesda for their like open cooperation with the modding scene like it's one of the few examples where like the modders have been working on some of the games as long as the developers have in some cases longer and there's like a lot of harmony between those two parties i actually just saw that the person who famously made the like uh additional clutter mods for both skyrim and fallout 4 which essentially just like makes it so when you go into an inhabited space it looks more lived in like they just add kind of more like you know uh, tchotchkes around those spaces to just make it feel like you know somebody has actually been there they hired them to actually go and do that in starfield so like when you go into spaces there's just a ton of stuff everywhere that makes it look more like a real space that somebody lives in. Like, that's so cool that's amazing, that you would find yeah. the person who's like famous for making those mods and be like, you have a very specific set of skills. We would like to employ that into this new game. So you don't need to make the mod, you know? Right. So exactly. interesting. But anyway, point being like, I, I just think the charm of a Bethesda RPG for me is some of the jank, you know, is some of the like things not loading in totally correctly the person facing the wrong way when they're trying to talk to you like all of that stuff really does endear me to this game more and more and more the more of it i experience and, and like, you know what it is i think also like what i love the most about the next generation in particular is the fact that that show is exploring like some episodes are like some of the best hard sci-fi you can watch yeah and then there's like a guy in a Halloween mask who's like, dinner's ready. And you're like, <laughs> what am I watching? You know, and it, some those two elements are like why that show is so great to me. It's yeah. like you have Shakespearean actors in like pajamas delivering some of the best like sci-fi monologues of, of our lifetime. Yeah. And it's there's something still so B-movie about it that like as much as I'm excited to watch some of the more modern Trek, like. I do like that kind of budget aspect of the show. Like, I like the yes. fact that some aliens are just the same mask someone else wore inside out because they just <laughs> needed, like, you know, another species. Yeah. <laughs> so I do think, weirdly enough, like, what we love about Thesda is, is actually what we love about Star Trek, too, which makes this game feel like all worlds colliding yeah yeah and and i think like that it just goes again to speak to like the ambition of this game and how you know bethesda i i think you know you you brought up uh while we were texting yesterday uh nicole carpenter's review for polygon which i think is w really well written it's definitely awesome. yeah it's definitely like more negative that like 
definitely pretty positive, but like, you know, has a lot of critiques about the game. And I think a lot of it comes. I think she, yeah, she shares a lot of, uh, of the more negative things I've said, like in a really eloquent way. Yeah. Uh, I recommend yeah. reading that review if you're, if you want more on that. Yeah. It's, it's a great review. I, I personally didn't agree with like a lot of it, but I think it's, you know, it's definitely a take a lot of people are going to have. And, and I yeah. appreciated reading it for that reason. That review opens with the line with Starfield, Bethesda's ambition has exceeded its craft. And I weirdly see that as a positive instead of a negative in this game. Like, I think they always really, really, really like dream reaching for the stars to use like such a (laughs) unfortunately apt description. They, They always dream reaching for the stars and always come just a little bit short of achieving that. And because of that, the game feels like it's a little bit stretched too thin. And that's why you have like somebody will just explode (laughs) <laughs> you know, as you're walking through New Atlantis, someone like, this actually happened to me. Someone just blew up and I don't know why I was just walking through New Atlantis and there was an explosion. I looked to my left and there was a dead guy lying on the ground. And I was like, I don't know why that happened. <laughs> I seemingly am uninvolved because nobody's like coming after me because I feel like that would happen sometimes in like Skyrim or Fallout or something. Yeah, like, stop right there. Yeah, they, I'd be like, what do you mean? I, did, I haven't I don't even have a gun out. Like, what are you, you talking were just about? in the AOE crime code? Yes, you know, like yes, you're now arrested. Exactly. Uh, this person just blew up and was lying on the ground. I went over, I looked at them. I saw they had some credits on them. I took the credits and I walked away. 10 hours later, I go back to new Atlantis. They're still lying on the ground. You know, like that's the kind of stuff that I love Bethesda games for. Like, that's so funny. The The end of the civil war or Ulfric Stormcloak lay slain in his dining hall. And he's just there like in his underwear on the floor for the, because you took all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like, it's so funny to me that this game is simultaneously this like big, expansive, sprawling, incredible thing that I think more often than not achieves what it's setting out to do. And I really still feel like I've only scratched the surface of it. And also simultaneously, it's a game where somebody can spontaneously combust and be lying there creditless forever. I do think you're onto something, though, with the ambition of Bethesda and how I think that ambition is is like largely why I think so many of their games influence you know, generations of developers. Yeah. I think like the thing is, I think we are now in an era where the pitch of you can climb that mountain is met with skepticism and like, mm. but why, why do I care? What do I yes. do on that mountain? You know, I think honestly, I think a, lar- a large part of it is due to the success of Minecraft, where I think there's an expectation that things will serve material value, mm. you know, that like, okay, I can climb that mountain, but like who lives on the mountain? What do I get from the mountain? Just being able to do it is not enough. Right. Um, not that people are like, asking for more necessarily but I, I do think again the expectation has changed a little bit you know i think we're a little bit numb to size of a place it needs to have meaning to feel big and ironically i think skyrim nailed that i think skyrim like you can explore that map and it's actually not as big as it feels and there's a lot of distinct areas like none of it you know you never are walking around in skyrim and and it feels the same for too long unless you're like super far north where it's almost all snow Mm. but even then it feels like you're in this really like inhospitable area yeah but bethesda and nintendo both famously employed the disneyland approach of building their open worlds where when you walk into disneyland the idea was that or at least the way the imagineers talk about it the way the idea was when you walk into disneyland there's always a point of interest that you can walk towards there's always no matter where you're standing in disneyland they built the space so that there's always something in the distance that piques your curiosity that makes you want to go there and 
I forget if it's Bethesda or Nintendo developers who specifically talked about like taking an actual company trip to Disneyland to like experience that for themselves to use. I think it was Nintendo for Mario three, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, maybe. Uh, Yeah, but I'm sure it's happened more than I I heard it again for one of those two games. I forget which one. Got it. Um, Maybe I'm just thinking because Ionuma was inspired by Skyrim to build Breath of the Wild, etc. Sure. Point being that that I think is so, so spectacularly pulled off in both of those games. Like, I think that's one of the things that is so interesting. And it's weird to play Starfield, which I think is a game that doesn't have that because so much of the exploration is not rooted in standing in one space and walking to another space. So much of it is rooted in, I wonder what's on this planet, you know, fast traveling to that planet then fast traveling from the atmosphere down to the point of interest, you know? I think what's also, it's Starfield makes me very excited for what's next for Bethesda because I do think it's a game that feels a little bit unstuck in time where you can kind of feel the almost 10 years of development. Because I feel like there are parts of the game that feel like they're on par for expectation in like 2015. Yes. And then there are parts of the game that feel like they're trying to wow us now. And I think like it's kind of a weird mixture. But I I do think this overall is more successful than not. And I I think it kind of paints a promising future for Bethesda as like a developer. You Mm -hmm. know, I think they're always going to be, even if this game was a total failure, they're going to be around publishing stuff. But I was excited to see like, what is the next kind of in-house Bethesda game? And I I think that they're, they're thinking about the right things, you know, regardless of how Starfield works for, for anybody. I do think like just seeing the systems that are there and what the game is trying to do and explore. I think like, they I, I think, you know, if we were to talk to a lot of the developers about like what makes a good Bethesda game, they would probably agree with us in a lot of ways. You know, I think like, you know, it, it's hard to know because everything is subjective, but I just feel like you get that sense of looking back mm. and you get that sense of kind of reevaluating the missteps of the last two games. Yeah, very much. I feel like I feel like that that's where we should leave it off uh, for now. That's it. I want to go and get a nice cup of Joe from New Atlantis and uh, just pretend everything is cool there and that there are there aren't voices yelling from below. Are they called Terra Terra Brew? (laughs) That's not it, right? (laughs) Can I get a galactic cup of Joe? It's like in uh, Rainforest Cafe where they call everything like safari fries. Yeah, you know, they yes. don't even try. It's like it is um, called Terra Brew. Is it? <laughs> yeah, Terra Brew Coffee. That's funny. But yeah, I think I would like to revisit this once I'm further in, and maybe we can have like a spoiler conversation about it. I would love to. I would yeah. love to. I saw I saw one comparison. Um, I think it was actually also Gene Park from the Washington Post who compared uh, the end of this game to Near Automata, and I was like, that's. <laughs> That's one bold claim to make, uh, especially yeah. especially uh, you and I are coming at that with a lot of baggage. Um, and I don't, I don't know Gene well enough. We've never talked. I don't know his history with that game or uh, if he liked it or not even. Um, but you and I are coming at that for, with a lot of baggage. Uh, and I now understand where he's coming from and agree with it. And I, I just I'm excited for you to experience that and know what I mean. I'm excited to meet the colony of androids that just say why over and over again <laughs> until they explode. <laughs> I will say, look, like if you haven't picked this game up, if you haven't played it yet, really. And and again, this is the only time I would ever do this. My main recommendation is play the man, the main campaign, at least for like five or six hours until you really feel like you have a handle on what the game is capable of. And then you can kind of bounce out my kind of second secret recommendation. And I don't want to say much more than this is just play the entirety of the main campaign first. Just get it. Just do it. 
not get it out of the way because that almost implies that it's bad. Like it's really, really good and sets up why you would want to play New Game Plus in a really fascinating way. And I'm now using my New Game Plus run to like actually do the exploration, join a bunch of other factions, you know, see a bunch of stuff through. That's not to say I didn't like do that on my first playthrough. I did the whole main campaign, but I also did an entire faction side quest i ended up doing the free star collective side quest which was the the space cowboys oh nice because it was set up specifically when when you land there for the first time you're doing the main campaign and it's like a it's a constellation mission and you go there and there's like a hostage situation that's happening i having specced like fully into persuasion at that point ended up talking them out of it entirely like i i was oh nice i was just like hey go home don't do this this is stupid I went through the back door and just took them all out because uh, I, I failed the negotiations pretty bad because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, I knocked it out and uh, and they were like, hey, you did great here. You didn't lose a single hostage. If you're interested, you should sign up for the for the Freestar Rangers. I was like, sure, whatever. I'll do it. Why not? I, I, I wanted to see one of the side quests through. I wanted to see one of the main factions. Through. Totally. How was it? It was really OK. So. I was fascinated by it because it's set up kind of as a mystery. You're like exploring, you're like investigating a mystery. Uh, Somebody has stolen a spacecraft and it is somehow related to a bunch of mercenaries trying to run somebody off of their farm on another planet. And the mystery of why those two are linked and how I was really fascinated by. And I, I was like out for most of the day yesterday, just like thinking about it. I was like, how are these two things connected? And I think that's like the sign of a good mystery is when you're trying to solve it, like when you're not playing the video game. Yeah, I will say it wrapped up in exactly the way I expected. Like uh, it, it was a little bit of like a, a letdown. Um, but yeah, I was the, getting Fighters Guild vibes from that place. And I was like, eh, yeah, I'll, I'll wait on this one. The reward, though, so worth it. Like way beyond what i was expecting the reward oh, nice. the reward for finishing that quest line is incredible um i won't say what it is but it's great uh i did that and i also did um all of sarah morgan's quest as well mm. so each of the each of the um followers that you can have if you build up your affinity with them enough a la mass effect 2 has their own side quest mission that kind of like wraps up their own personal story oh cool um which is really interesting and i also learned if you romance people that also unlocks separate missions for them so because because i had sarah morgan with me the entire time i did her like side quest but then you know she also built up the affinity towards me where she was like i'm in love with you we should get married and then we did and then that actually unlocked even more story after that which was really interesting very cool uh, and I'm, I'm kind of excited now in new game plus to like explore that with other people and like see what else is going on. How is the wedding? Cause I, I'm, rem- I'm getting flashbacks of Skyrim weddings and they are bleak. They are bleak ceremonies. Uh, similar. <laughs> I don't know what it, it's like. Do you know how marriage works in Skyrim? Can I relive this yeah, tragedy yeah, with yeah, you? Yeah. So basically in Skyrim, uh, you might run into a, a priest of Mara who is one of the nine divine or eight. If you're following the, the laws of Skyrim and not worshiping Talos. But anyway, Mara <laughs> is like sort of the St. Mary equivalent. Uh, she's the goddess of like love and marriage. And you can get an, if you, if you're wearing an amulet of Mara and Skyrim, that's basically just you saying like, I'm single and interested. Yes. And then people will be like, Hey, like, do you want to get married? And you can be like, yeah, sure. And then you just meet them in Riften of all fucking places to get married. <laughs> you meet them in like the fucking rat done, like the, where the thieves guild hangs out. You get married in Riften. Uh, and then like the game kind of secretly keeps track of like who your close friends are. Chances are, it's going to just be Lydia. 
Like, yeah. no matter how long you've been playing, it's going to be like Lydia and maybe like the Bella Thor who you sell stuff to. Right. Or nobody if Lydia died <laughs> tragically. Yeah. So you get like dragon. you exchange vows in this empty church and then whoever is there just gets up and leaves immediately. <laughs> It's it's bleak. Although I do, I will say I think the uh, there were three expansions um, for Skyrim. Uh, there was the Vampire Quest, which I think is great actually, especially if you are on the side of the vampire hunters. Dragonborn, which is where you go back to Morrowind, and it's like that's an incredible quest. Yeah, and the realm of of Hideus Mora, I think is his name. He's like this eldritch god of like books and knowledge. It's like weird, like slimy books everywhere. <laughs> um but uh there was a third expansion called I think Hearths not Hearthstone, but something like Hearthfire Hearth or something. Hearth home? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you could build your own house, which honestly was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. It quite was a bit. fun. Yeah. It kind of gave like a little bit more weight to the marriage and family stuff, even though it felt a little bit like a stand-in. Yeah. Uh, but there was one orc character i made who was like just committed to being a dad and like that was like most of my playthrough it was actually a lot of fun i went on adventures with my wife we were both mages it was great wow that rocks yeah so maybe i'll engage with that in starfield we'll see yeah wins my interest i honestly like just the prospect of getting kind of big dlc expansions like that for this game is really exciting to me especially if they are building on i think some of the stuff that the main campaign kind of brings up um that i won't give away really makes the possibility space kind of limitless in a way that I think is really exciting. I wonder I wonder if they would explore that stuff because it would be like a spoiler to even talk about what the DLC would be then. Uh, but we'll anyway, <laughs> the DLC is called, you know, when you know. <laughs> anyway, Starfield, I, I think it's great. Like, I think it is one of my favorite games of the year. It is at this point now living up to a lot of my expectations and then some i'm excited to get further in i'm definitely enjoying it enough but i i, I want to see where i land once i get further into it i will say uh you and i are recording two episodes today uh because i'm going to be in japan for most of september and it really bums me out that this game doesn't run well on steam deck because uh, i would have brought the steam deck with me so i could play this game uh oh well. but unfortunately it does not run well but you can't win them all rumor has it as of this week that uh nintendo switch follow-ups uh have entered the dev kit phase and that publishers and developers now have the dev kit for the switch 2 and it is like Whoa. ps4 pro level graphics and the final fantasy 7 remake is one of the launch titles what and looks like the ps4 pro are you fucking with i'm me? not fucking with you prank? no no, no the, the the you know i'm gullible you could say whatever you want the, to the me. rumor is ps4 pro level graphics Final Fantasy VII Remake is one of the launch titles, intergrade-esque in terms of graphical fidelity, and also it has a camera on it. It's interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll see. You can take selfies with Cloud. Maybe, yeah, maybe. But also, it is backwards compatible, but the, the um, Switch carts are shaped a little bit differently, like very similar to the Nintendo 3DS and the new 3DS, like having differently shaped mm. uh, cartridges um anyway that's all very interesting uh but anyway if all of that is true that would hypothetically mean that like starfield could run on it but i don't think they would do that because it is an xbox exclusive uh unfortunately at least for a while but yeah. that's exciting about the new switch yeah i just i would love to take this game on the go and i can't and that's i want to play ff7 remake again handheld that sounds great oh wait what am i talking about i can play this game on xcloud yeah dude as of september 6th okay get with it wow Never mind. All's well. <laughs> I'm just going to bring my backbone with me and then I'll do you that. You can do New Game Plus 2 where yeah. it really gets going. <laughs> I saw um, I saw Greg 
Miller from Kind of Funny is on, I think, his fourth playthrough already. Uh, oh, my God. He's just like, I just keep going back to that well, which I I understand. I understand why. Um, it's very interesting. I'm very excited. Yeah. Why don't we take a break? We do have some other games for today's episode, believe it or not, even though it's been almost two hours. Oh, my God. Yeah, we've been talking for so long. I didn't realize how long <laughs> it's been. Yeah, let's take a break. I have to get some water or something. Yeah, I need to go outside for a bit. All right. <laughs> see you. Bye-bye. Brendan. Steven. I, too, have rolled credits on a game this week. Yesterday, last night, finished Baldur's Gate 3. Thank you. Thank you. I know. <laughs> Being sick all week has done wonders for my backlog. Uh, and I finished the game last night, and I messaged you that I was rolling credits, and you were like, I, I just hit credits in Starfield. I was about to message you. So I think we yes. beat them like at the same time. We beat them at the exact same time. I when I when I when I say you texted me saying I'm rolling credits on Baldur's Gate 3, that was like the second the credits started rolling in Starfield. <laughs> and I was bringing my phone up and I was about to open up the camera and I saw your message pop up. Oh my god, that's amazing. It was unreal. Yeah, I, I finished Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, I I won't spoil it. Uh, I'm not going to talk about what happened. I will say I'm very happy with my ending, hmm. but there were a lot of seeds planted for like another playthrough. So they they got what they wanted out of cool. me. It's like I got like a really great catharsis, but I'm also like, what could have happened there? You know? Yeah. It, it was incredible. I uh, I mean, it's it's kind of solidified as like one of my favorite games of all time. And notably, I played the finale on the PS5. Yeah. I, I have so many questions for you. Yeah. That being one of them. Like, how is it on the PS5? Because I haven't picked up the PS5 version yet it's honestly great so I, I had mentioned uh prior to ps5 i've been playing it mostly on the steam deck and honestly on steam deck it's great and now that i can compare the two i think the steam deck is like a more than viable option uh yeah. the big thing too is that larian has been really like really good about patching the game and, and being very transparent as to like what each patch is bringing yeah they actually just recently uh released like a big patch that addressed a lot of like act three bugs because i think you can kind of tell that like act one was where the early access was not that it becomes like super buggy but there were just a lot of like i, I think well, I didn't experience anything game breaking. I did for the bulk of Act Three have to kind of nervously save a lot just for like the anticipation of like if someone's gonna slip during a cutscene or like yeah. you know like I have heard the wheel start coming off a little bit in terms of like the game's stability, especially when you hit the city Baldur's Gate. Uh, yeah, like there's just the space is so big, especially on the Steam Deck. From what I've heard, the game starts to like chug a little bit more noticeably. Yeah, because there there are so many characters on screen, and of course, because it's Baldur's Gate three, it's not just there are so many characters. All of like there are guards in the corner of the city in the barracks who are just practicing against dummies, and you can see they're actually rolling for combat with each of those hits. Like it's <laughs> it's not just like an idle animation. Like it, it the game is running all these characters are engines of dice rolls happening at all times that's unreal it was the same with uh divinity you know that's just how these games work and yeah. that's what makes them so special but it can also make things like my, my like one note is sometimes i just wish things could be a little bit more straightforward and like i felt that way very rarely like i that was a kind of a leading frustration in divinity where it's like can you just give me the boat do i have to talk to the boat mm -hmm. in like a dead language that i have no idea how to find <laughs> uh every now and then there'd be something like that in boulder's gate but it was usually because like this is a crazy thing i'm trying to do yeah you know like uh so 
so I think overall, like it definitely felt more approachable in that way. But um, to answer your question, like, yeah, so on Steam Deck, like once you get, you know, without saying too much, Baldur's Gate 3 eventually leads you to Baldur's Gate. Act 3 is in the city itself of Baldur's Gate. And it's an amazing place. Uh, but that's where I was like, oh, okay, like the frame rate is like really dipping. And like I eventually like just powered through because I wanted to keep playing. But I did want to save like some of the end of the journey for the PS5. Mm. Worth noting, there are cross saves. So how that works is if you make an account with Larian, you sign into your account in both places. And then you can go into options and enable cross saves and then it will kind of like just take like your five most recent saves and carry them over to the other console awesome um, it actually worked remarkably well and it was really cool to just see like the glow up everyone got um <laughs> i will say like uh so i played on ps5 at the time that i played it it was because i pre-ordered it and i got like early access to the the console version i actually don't think it comes out until the sixth the same day as starfield so like I think uh I did notice that there were there was a good amount of texture pop in. So like there were still some things here and there. Um like during a lot of the ending cutscenes, like characters like faces would be like off a little bit, which was kind of funny. Um but overall, like that's stuff that can get patched out pretty easily and it might have just been like my moment of playing. Mm. But overall, it, it, it's remarkable on PS5. Like I, I got really used to the controller controls, like yeah. the wheels. It works the same on PS5. There's even a little bit of feedback to like pulling up the menu, which are kind of like, oh, that's um, yeah. you can change that if you want. But the biggest thing is just how smooth it is, like seeing it all run in you know performance mode on like 60 frames per second like walking around see like because this game has remarkable like character animations like i think they did do some like body capture for the performances and that really is even it just seeing that kind of more smoothly is like oh this feels like a next gen game yeah. in a lot of ways that was, that was my experience playing it through geforce now uh yeah a couple weeks ago was like seeing the game running at max settings in 60 frames per second was like I just couldn't wait to get it on PS5. I would anticipate when this hits consoles that there might be some players that are like, like, I, I think it's going to be in a really good place to launch. Uh, I think it was wise of them to space it out because I think like there were a lot of things to patch like when it hit PC initially. I do think maybe people that are more used to console might be a little bit frustrated with like because it just feels so inherently a pc game and i think because of that there is a little bit more of an understanding that like it might just crash or you know it might take some finagling that i don't know if people who primarily play in consoles are used to mm -hmm. but all i to say i think that this game is going to like balloon in popularity yet again when it hits consoles yeah i think having like a solid month of hype build up yeah. over the course of the pc release existing before the console release was as you said just like an absolutely brilliant move even though it wasn't totally on purpose like yeah just really worked out i think getting to experience the ending on ps5 was really it was like a religious experience the way it wraps up it feels very i was talking about this in the discord like the three-act structure of the game makes it feel like its own trilogy. Like, I feel like by the end, the sort of, like, payoff for certain plots... Because one thing I'll say that I don't think is a big spoiler is, like, there are so many characters that you meet in Act 1 that feel like bit roles. Like, there's a gnome that goblins tied to a windmill that you can either yes. save or, like, you can actually purposely, like, make it go faster so you fling them in a different direction. And, like... 
in most games you would save him he would give you a potion and that would be the end of him forever right that dude like can play a pretty huge role in the story (laughs) he like appears consistently throughout and because of the actions I had taken by the end of the game, like he played a fairly significant role in a certain story. And the same goes for a lot of like, you know, the first uh, town you meet a lot of the uh, tiefling refugees and a lot of them also pop up over the course of the game and, and have like their own arcs and everything, or they can at least. And I think that's such a smart way of really making player choice feel real. It's like, not only do you get these big moments of like, do you do the good thing or evil thing? But like, you actually see continuously how that one act like affected these people in their own story. Yeah. And so by the end of the game, I just felt like, like I'm kind of glad I, I beat it. Like it is bittersweet, but I'm like, I really needed to see the end of this character's story. And I feel so like full from that journey. Like, even though there's like, a ton that I just totally missed. Even even just making another character briefly, I made a sorcerer and like have been messing around. Uh, this is a few weeks ago, but I made a sorcerer and just messed around at the beginning of the game. And like even just that handful of hours, I saw so much I completely missed the first time. Mm. And it's not even like, I'm glad there's enough variables in the game where it's not just like, okay, cool. Now I'm going to make an evil character because I was, I was a very good character in this playthrough. Yeah. I could do like eight different good characters and have a completely different experience. You know, I don't even know if I would ever want to play that game evil just because I'm so invested in the characters <laughs> and that world. But yeah, I, I thought I think it's going to be a, a really big deal on console. And uh, I'm excited for you to eventually get further in because I need to talk about the story and everything once you've seen it. Uh, but I will I will abstain sharing details for now yeah i'm so stoked uh i'm not gonna be able to play the console release until i get back from japan so like towards the end of september which is a little bit of a bummer but uh i know my partner really wants to play it and that just because she's been watching me play it on my steam deck and has been jealous i think uh (laughs) that that she can't play it also so that'll be really fun to see her jump into it also maybe we'll do multiplayer uh like local multiplayer which will be really interesting but i'm stoked about it i also saw they uh started patching in new endings also did you see that yeah i feel like there were ember of Mass Effect 3 and they were like fuck that here's an Animal House epilogue eat shit um, <laughs> yeah no I mean because there were so like without saying too much there are a number like there's sort of like the big ending and then there's like a number of like character endings right. depending on your actions um, so they've added a few more uh, of those and I think there were also just like the, the bigger glitches in Act 3 were actually related to the ending where people were just like not getting certain scenes they should have gotten oh, to play. Interesting. So they, they've they like amended a lot of that. And I would guess too, like I would love to see like a story, you know, expansion pack of some kind. Like there were a lot of uh, endings I got where I'm like, I would play a whole game of just that. Like what do you, what the brief second you just showed me is like Baldur's Gate three and a half, you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think that this Big patch seem I would guess was thinking of consoles in mind too. So I think it's going to launch in a really exciting state for everybody uh, who hasn't been able to play it up until now. Yeah, man, that that uh that that little bit just about like you see it one cutscene and like that could be an entire video game. Like I feel like giant RPGs of this scale. That's like such a common thing. And I think it, it's one of the it's one of the downsides frequently of these kinds of games. I think, you know, I, I'm thinking about Starfield also in, in this context, but like sometimes you'll do a side quest that's like 
you could have just made this the whole game or like this could have been its own entire like DLC or expansion pack by itself. And I'd be like super thrilled with that, which is like a blessing and a curse to have moments like that in these kinds of games. You know what I mean? Because on one hand, you want them to explore that like more deeply and like ask more questions and interrogate it a little bit more. And on the other hand, like this is one of the most ambitious, largest you know, uh, like player choice driven games, I think ever made, if not like the biggest, yeah. you know, with a thousand endings and now even more that they patched them in. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> well, I think, I think it's, there's a lot of different variables. Like I will say like the big, like this is your final choice. It's fairly limited. Mm. Um, but there are a lot of different shades of what can happen because then that's like just one piece of it. You know, there's, there are so many smaller stories that play out alongside the sort of big ending. Yeah. I will say though, like without saying too much, the lead up to the finale is the most like screaming. Fuck. Yeah. Fellowship of the ring moment i've had in a game in a long time nice they, they like really know how to play the crowd in Baldur's Gate 3 because <laughs> i think because so much of the game is like so punishing you know and i think that's maybe i think the biggest point of tension with new players is like especially like i i actually think it gets easier once you're like level eight, you're just kind of a badass. And like the amount of spells you have and the amount of like actions, like my monk could attack like six times by the end of the game and <laughs> could like jump three times and move anywhere. Uh, rocks. Shadowheart could summon a genie. Like I just, the shit you can do. Yeah. Uh, the, the level cap is 12 and that might sound low, but like the minute In D&D terms, that's why D&D yeah. 20 is max level. And I think most campaigns end when you get to like, between level 10 and 14 because at that point there's really no way the dm could balance the game like the amount of spells you get and and you know it, it just becomes like a different experience but i do think like it feels so smart the way it's divided up where it's like level one through five is roughly act one where it's like you're just kind of trying to survive and that's where i think the game is the most difficult um because yeah. the enemies you're up against are usually better than you and you don't really have like many options yet and if you like miss on your turn you're fucked because there's like eight other and like it's always like three verse 20 you know and um my advice is like really save scum if you got it like no shade in doing that i think as much as i love what this game is doing narratively there are a handful of moments that are like will catch you totally off guard and will like dramatically alter your story in ways that like you might not be comfortable with on that playthrough yes so like no shame in save scumming like i'm i definitely think it's like you gotta find your own comfort level with embracing failed roles like there are times where i'm like you know what i'll take that like in there, there was a huge battle at the end of act two and like two major characters just died in like the opening battle and i'm like mm. i could restart but that's like two hours of progress and i just i think it's fine for this journey to have some loss to it yeah you know? like i, I don't, absolutely but then there are other parts where i'm like no i'm not losing this character like absolutely i will i will reload dice rolls all day until i get what i want out of this yeah um so i think it's it's about what you want out of the experience but i do think there's there's a middle ground you know i think so too there was like a lot of weird controversy about saves coming in this game online and i was just like it's like the people saying like oh you're playing dark souls wrong if you do x y or z thing yeah it's like if you use the moonville katana you're not playing elden ring the right way it's like this game is 70 dollars. play it however you want yeah, you know like that's shit. <laughs> but anyway like you know this game can be very punishing the dm that is you know invisibly running this thing can be very cruel <laughs> so when you get those moments of like i'm a badass fuck yes i've got all my friends here you have my axe like it feels so earned you know yeah. like 
I I adored every second of this game, even when I was frustrated, like I couldn't put it down. So I'm I'm excited to talk more. Like I have some friends who have finished already, and we're like talking about our endings. And um, how different are they? Character by character, pretty different. The larger scale events, there's sort of like two or three outcomes. Yeah, that was kind of that was kind of my feeling about it when they were like, it yeah. has a thousand endings. I was like, I'm sure there's like two or three major ones. And then it's just like permutations of those. There is a final decision that choosing what I did. The thing this is so funny to say the thing you need to do the thing I did, how you get it. There's like two dramatically different ways of doing that that leads to a different scene as well Mm. there there are a lot of stories around the main like i don't even think the the game doesn't really reveal what the main quest even is until the end of act two like you don't even you're not even given like the names and faces of the villains until halfway through the game (laughs) which i think is all because it feels like of course these like nobodies with tadpoles in their heads would not like know (laughs) I, I think honestly, like I've been trying to like think about which act was my favorite and they really all feel like an installment of a trilogy. Like one is just all about establishing like the cast and, and the state of things mm-hmm. and the identity of the, of like act one is asking the player, like, who do you want to be in this world? Like, are you going to be a force of good or bad? Or are you going to kind of lurk somewhere in between? And then act two is kind of like a test of that. It's sort of like, we're going to up the stakes we're going to up the drama and kind of test what you've been doing up until now. And then act three is like just fireworks of plot resolutions, <laughs> like left and right. See, so yeah, I, th- I think uh, I, I overall, I'm very happy with what I chose. And there are a few things that were out of my control that I'm like, that'll be another playthrough, you know? Yeah, I haven't even finished act one yet, but I have a I have a question based on that. Is there like a big screen that pops up that's like you're done with act one here's act two no you'll get an achievement for it though so that's that's how you know you've moved between acts act one feels like narratively it ends at the party at camp you know like once you've resolved Ah. like but it technically ends once you get to the shadow blighted lands okay so like there is this kind of weird act one and a half of without saying too much like you do act one and then they're like you can go on the mountain path or through the underdark to get to the shadow blighted lands to moonrise towers Mm -hmm. and you can actually i i learned recently you can do both i thought you had to do one so i didn't see any of the mountain path which is Mm. gonna be for another playthrough honestly the only character i like didn't do any of her quests and never use was lazelle and i'm actually amazed at like how meaningful of an ending i got for her given i like (laughs) never talked to her but she's someone that i really want to invest in in my next playthrough yeah so yeah i would say act one is like in that area around the Druid Grove. Act two is the Shadow Blighted Lands. Um, the game does tell you like, hey, if you keep going, you may not be able to go back mm-hmm. or like certain quests will like be unavailable to you. They don't tell you which ones though, uh, which is kind of... That's fun. Uh, it, it's, I like it. I, li- I, I, I like think that. that's a nice middle ground. Yeah, but act two, act two is where I really mainline the game. Like that's where I think I will spend more time in another playthrough just because that area is so... I really like that setting. It feels like a dark fairy tale. Like it feels like it has like that kind of like, I don't know what to expect. And everything here is like a warped version of reality. And then act three, like I actually finished act two, like I think a little bit 
underleveled. So when I went to go to act three, they were like, you are severely underleveled. Like, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, fine, I'll go wrap up some quests. <laughs> but I do think like there is that, uh, I think that it's clear, more clearly divided with like, you know, going to Baldur's Gate is act three. Right. And Shadow Blade Lands is act two. There, there is a little bit more ethereal divide with with the transition between one and two with the because the underdark and the mountain path feel like their own little arcs as well mm, yeah if that's the case though that means i'm actually pretty close to act two which is exciting yeah i would say you're you're about a third of the way through the game yeah um cool. so and and that's where i think like like my play time said 80 hours when i was done mm, that was my next question my steam deck says 130 but 30 of that was because of the early access which i played like a couple years ago um ah, right so okay. i would guess overall it, it took me a hundred hours to beat um, i think if you like just totally do the main quest you could probably do it in like 60 but you'll want to do more than that especially yeah. like when i got to act three i pretty much did every quest available to me except for gales sorry sorry dude uh, <laughs> i just got locked out of something i'm like i don't really want to get in trouble for this i will say too unless a quest has specifically told you there's like it will say like we lost our chance like we can't do this anymore if it doesn't say that but you feel like you've lost your chance there's a way around it there was a point in a quest where i thought like because all the guides are pretty new a lot of them haven't accounted for every possibility in right the game. yeah how could they exactly so there was a point in a quest i was doing where i'm like i didn't i fucked up this role with this character i have no idea how to get to this room i'm supposed to go to and i found a whole back avenue i could just like jump from rock to rock and just go behind the place <laughs> so like if you're willing to kind of like really explore and poke at the edges like there's a way around a lot of a lot of things that feel like walls there's actually a way around it in some cases literally like in that one but yeah uh, i i think i think you're gonna really like act two because that's where i think the sense of like purpose kind of kicks in a little bit more yeah um you feel a little bit less like you're just kind of a lost dog with a tadpole in your brain yeah yeah i, I think the the harshest criticism i can levy against Baldur's gate 3's first act is it feels a little bit too much like divinity original sin 2 in terms of the stuff i didn't like just about like the narrative setup where it's like divinity original sin 2 kind of launches in a space where i don't really feel like i have the motivation to see it through like I, I have a hard time getting into it because I don't know why I'm there or what I'm doing I'm just like a prisoner on a weird island and I just need to like escape that and it's like okay I don't I don't feel super compelled to do that because I don't know who I am yet you know and Baldur's Gate yeah. 3 I think brilliantly gets around that by giving you some characters early on that are so compelling that you just want to hang out with them you know yeah. and like that's that's i think the propelling force but and also the relationships you choose kind of also form your character like if you yes. are someone who like hits it off immediately with a starian and lazel you're probably getting into some mischief right or playing like a possibly more evil character whereas if you're closer with like gale or will you're probably a more noble character mm -hmm. uh, shadow heart sort of in the middle yeah. at least early on but yeah, I, I think um, if you struggled a little bit early on because there was that lack of purpose, like two will give that to you pretty dramatically. Um, there's a fairly uh, and that's kind of why I mainlined it. Like there's a kind of urgent sense of danger in act two. Uh, I mean, for context, like the land you're in, you can't wander 
the shadow plague without losing your mind unless you have a source of light. So the fact that everyone is like nervously carrying a torch through this like cursed place is just so cool. Wow. Eventually you can find a way to just like freely roam which I won't spoil because it's a very cool thing. And there's actually a variety of things you can do. So save your torches. Don't get rid of them. You'll need them. Uh, and there's a place uh, like once you wander in, you might feel like, where am I supposed to go? Like this place is so scary. Just like take a few steps and you'll reach like the first city in that location. And once I found that place, that's where like my like the f- game fully locked me in. Like I, I really loved that setting. And again, like that's where the plot kind of like really gripped me as well. So I'm looking forward to you getting there. Yeah, that's Baldur's Gate 3. That's all I can say without being like, and then, and then, and then. Yeah. Uh, but I, I adored it. Uh, it's a really special game. I'm excited to like start a new character on console mm. and kind of have that be the, like, I'll probably still play it on Steam. I think I, I have it installed, but I think I'll probably primarily play it on PS5. It just feels like a, they really nailed having the controller feel good, which I think is a step up because Divinity is still like, even though I like it on PlayStation, it, it still feels like it was made for mouse and keyboard. I think having a different like UI and control scheme for controller was a really smart decision. Yeah, it feels really good. That's how I, yeah, that's how I was playing on Steam Deck. Um, yeah, and uh, really enjoyed it. Man, what a year for video games, huh? <laughs> yeah, for real. Why don't we wrap up? So uh, troubling. Before, before I spoil Act Three for you. That sounds good. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Into the Aether, a low-key video game podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode that you and I are about to record today. Yeah, exactly. Which will be fun. I will be in Japan by the time this episode comes out. Hopefully having a good time. Enjoy your trip. I'm Thank excited you so you. much. Yeah, I've never been. I'm very excited. For those of you old heads out there who listen to no script at all, uh, I'm going to hang out with Andrea, which will be fun, who lives in Japan now. So that'll be really cool. Uh, we'll report back on that. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I could tell you what we're talking about in the next episode. I'll seed real quickly. We're going to be talking about Sea of Stars and a bunch of other games, but I think that's kind of one of the main ones that we're going to talk about, Yeah, um, which will be exciting, which is, I think, a game that... Um, Similar to Starfield, you and I have been a little bit trepidatious about in the lead up to it. Um, And I can't wait to talk about that and how we're feeling about it now. So that'll be next week. Uh, You can find our show at IntoTheCast.online. Please share it with a friend if you like it. That is the best, easiest, fastest way of uh, helping us grow because we don't pay for ads or do any of that. Uh, I should disclaimer, we have paid for ads in the past. It just doesn't work so we don't do it anymore. So <laughs> that's why that's why we always say uh, share it with a friend. You can find uh, our Patreon there as well, patreon.com slash into the cast if you want to go directly to your browser and type the URL in instead of going to into the cast.online first. Uh, and you can back the show at multiple levels. One dollar gets you a thank you from us just in your heart of hearts uh five dollars allows you access to our weekly sub show i'll call it called any percent uh in which steven and i have 10 minutes exactly 10 minutes to answer a listener submitted prompt or question um which is always fun and weird and a, and a challenge and i think is the more we do it changing the way we do our main show i've noticed <laughs> yeah it has had a cross effect for sure yeah not not i mean you know we did talk for two hours about starfield so i don't know how much it's helping but it's definitely changing the game a little bit uh yeah anyway so that's that's there you also get access to an air table which is a list of every game we've ever talked about what platforms they're available for um and also what episodes we've talked about them in alongside some lists that are like potential bonus episodes things like that you'll also get for five dollars all our uh new patron episodes so every every so often we'll release like a full episode that's like about you know something kind of outside the scope of the usual show also for one dollar you'll get all of our patron episodes up until the 3ds yes um which is like the bulk of them 
currently. Yeah. So that's also a perk there. Uh, and then for $10, you get a thank you in the show notes. You can opt out of it if you'd like. Uh, and also all the other perks. And when we one day, someday do merch, you'll get some kind of discount for that as well. So uh, just thank you for even considering $10. I know there's like not a ton of incentive right now, but we appreciate anyone who can. I did also notice we did get like a recent wave of new patrons. So just thank you so much. It really like we we're now at a point where we can use our budget to buy games as a business expense. And that has helped us like in our personal lives so much. Yeah, for real. Even if you only get a couple games a month, it's it's such an expensive hobby. So you've really taken a lot of pressure off myself and Brendan and, and AJ. So yeah, it's it's been like wildly helpful. Uh, thank you so much to the patrons. And uh, if you want to support us, but, you know, Patreon is maybe outside of uh, your comfort zone, which is totally cool. Uh, you could go to Apple Podcasts and just leave a review. That'd be very nice. Yeah. Um, but outside of all of that, that's all that's all the plug in. That that's all the do. plugs. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Bye, everybody. What's your name? BB. Bye bye. That was a very Starfield. Exit. <laughs> this whole episode of like, yeah, you know, influence and ambition. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Would you like a sandwich? Hello. I haven't seen this before. Bye bye. Found one of these. You interested? I hear rumors of the Star Collective. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>